Episode 8 of Sunglasses at Night podcast. This is a rap, 80s rap. A <laughs> rap is. of the 80s. Yes. Not, not an actual rap, because we're both white and we're not, no one needs that. <laughs> no, we'll get plenty of that in the 90s, I believe. <laughs> Way yes. too much, some would suggest, but we'll wait and see what happens in the coming weeks. Because um, I've not looked that far ahead, Tom, but I think I recall some white rappers in the I 90s. Have vague memories of it. Yeah, so th- this week um, we're going to do a-, a bit of a wrap-up, have a look at some of the stuff that we didn't get to touch on about the 80s. I've crunched some some data, got some figures, got some oh, stats. Good, so, I was too lazy to do that part. Well, absolutely. I was just about to say this is going to be a-, a looser sort of episode than usual. Usually it's quite structured with sure. it going through week by week to about the song. So looser sort of format, which just means it's not going to be very good, doesn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the other genius that we been putting out there yes the rest be... the rest has been top tier material this is sort of a b tier action but actually i think the fact that you know we're, we're free from the restraints of the songs that we're given and we get to select our own it might mean that it's actually somewhat better i don't know i don't know let's find out absolutely so look tom i'm just gonna start off by saying um in the 80s in australia there were 147 number one songs oh okay so over the decade, that's about 15 per year. So okay. yeah, 15 songs a year. Um, and out of those, 127 unique artists. Okay. Out of the 147. So a lot of people, there was some double ups. Oh, obviously. yes. Okay. So, yeah. so 47 so- 147 songs, 127 artists. Madonna had the most with five. She just showed yes. up all over the place. I was looking at that. Same in the UK. She had six in the UK Ooh, over the 80s. A, a bonus one. By there. far bigger than anyone else. Yeah. So only if we were talking about the UK number ones, we could have, would have been able to read out one more quote from the sex book then <laughs> than we did here. Um, that but is a shame. I do believe I that she has. To... Well, she's probably got some more number ones in the nineties. Uh, I have a feeling. So I'm sure I can. She's got some thoughts on I don't know midgets or something that she needs <laughs> I'm to sure share. <laughs> exactly right. Beating people probably. probably you know yeah. she's got. All, I'm sure she's got all kinds of opinions. Look forward to hearing them. So. Um, yeah, she had five. Most from the from an Australian was Kylie with three. Kylie Minogue. Oh yeah. So I all in the later that. part. Um, or uh, she'll always be Cammy from Street Fighter Two. <laughs> to me, Tom, the film. Her um, biggest performance of all. Yeah. Do you reckon she'll get a tap on the shoulder to play Rasputin in the World Heroes film? <laughs> no. I can only hope so. One and I hope. Van Damme is back as well. Absolutely. Um, um, World Heroes reference, sort of throw that in there. Sure. <laughs> no one will know what we're talking about. It's going to be part of the Neo Geo film franchise uh, that will be taking off. Absolutely. A lot, okay. of, lot of good stuff coming up soon. That's one console that hasn't really been mined for films <laughs> it's yet. It's true. So. It's true. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, Nintendo, they've done the Super Mario Brothers film, big hit. 
Um, Huge probably hit. they've done Such some a big others, hit I guess. That it scared them into never making a single other film. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's true. That, that's, that's, <laughs> which is a shame. Which is a real shame. But um, yeah. was looking forward to an F Zero film, but perhaps <laughs> one day it's coming. Who knows? I actually probably would watch that. So I'm hoping that it does happen. It will happen. Trust me. I'm writing the script right now. <laughs> um, so how do those songs? So thirty of them. So twenty percent. Yep. Were number one just for one week. Oh, okay. So. 20% for one week, 20% also for two weeks. Yep. And then, um, I won't go through all the weeks, but uh, only one song was there for nine weeks. That was the, the most of the decade. Wow. Nine solid weeks. There were five for eight weeks, which is still two months. That's pretty big. So that's 3% of that. One for nine weeks, which was, um, of course, We Are The World, So which is one of the worst. <laughs> the worst of the decade was also the longest. But as we know, people were... It was about charity. It was about raising money for a good cause. Mm. The quality of the song didn't matter. It was just about getting the money into the right place, and that was into the hands of... African warlords, well done, uh, yes, Bob Geldof. So it is good. They were the real winners on the day. Absolutely. So uh, I've had tried to sort of have a look at one-hit wonders. So um, for this one, if the artist had another song that charted in the top ten, yeah, then they're not a one-hit wonder. Uh, is okay. what I'm saying. Sure. So yeah, no, a lot of these sense. artists only had one number one song, but if they had another top 10 hit, I'm saying not a one hit wonder. So that means that 20% of these songs, so 32 out of the 147, were one hit wonders. Wow. So they never had another hit. No. 20, 20%. Percent, anyway. Yeah, exactly. No, oh, just ever. Oh, okay. Yep. Ever. So Jeez. they never had That's another top 10 song. Number. Yep. So, and then I've got 75% um, were not one hit wonders and then the other 10 there's five percent i've put as a maybe because they never had another another song in the top 10 but they had like one or two sort of that charted in like the top 20 so they might have had a number one song and then another song that was like number 19 for like a week so Mm -hmm. i put them in the maybe category because they did have another top 20 song but some of them i'd never fucking heard of before (laughs) in my life whereas others i was like oh that's actually more familiar to me than some of their other songs so yeah um, yeah, so yeah, that's pretty much that, I guess. Just the number of weeks that um, looking at, yeah, yeah, looking I at guess Australia, either Australia loves a one-hit wonder or just one-hit wonders in general are more popular than I would have suspected that they were. Yeah, I, I think there's sort of there's the occasional novelty song which just has one-hit wonder written all over it. They never yeah. go on to do anything else. Um, and then I guess just there's also interestingly though, out of all of those artists um, that sort of were I guess one hit wonders there were a lot of songs that charted um, in other countries though so there was ones that were hits oh yeah true so they're a one hit wonder in Australia but they might have had two hits in the UK or two hits in the US so that was sort of interesting I'm just looking at the countries out of the so 16% of the artists were Australian yeah 29% were from England and okay. and 40% were from the US. So they were the top yep. 3 in terms of the so the most most artists were American. So 40 40% of and number ones in the 80s were American artists. I'd be really interested to see if that's different now whether Australia has a more love for Australian yeah. homegrown acts. I but then again Australian music was really big in the 80s too. That's what I, like that's it what was I a think. real sort of national sense of pride. Yeah, fuck. Uh, yeah, it's it's look, some of the best stuff we ever did was in the 80s. 
in just 10 short weeks time we'll crunch the numbers in the 90s and then we can compare <laughs> the, the decades and see what's sure. going on but um yeah so four out of ten were u.s songs and then there's a couple of and then there's obviously you know a handful from there's a couple of u.s uk combos yeah. um so bands that had some people from the u.s and the uk um one percent germany one percent ireland one percent jamaica um, the Netherlands. No, she went by herself. <laughs> Sorry. Glad you asked me where my wife was going on holiday. That's all right. Three from New Zealand, three, two percent there, and then Norway, Scotland, Sweden, and Wales. So yeah, a couple of yeah, a couple of random ones there at the end. Well, Sweden is just rock set, I guess, <laughs> and Wales uh, probably Bonnie Tyler. Can't remember who the others were. I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, you, there is a debate, an eternal debate. With a lot of bands about where they're actually, where's the band from? Yeah, that's it. I saw there was someone, some internet twat, like just glanced off the other day. It was some YouTube video of, might have been ACDC or something, and they said, oh, and one of the comments was, oh, what a great Australian band. And then underneath someone was like, oh, Australia hasn't got any good bands, and someone had listed off all these Australian bands, and then the person had put the nationalities of all the people in the various bands that the other guy had just claimed were Australians yep. saying like, well, like for instance, ACDC, like they were... All born in like Scotland. Or, yeah, yeah, most of them. I think yeah. two of them were Scottish. Oh yeah, not all of them, sorry. The, the, yeah, the, Ang- the yeah, Angus Young is and then, but, but I mean, they met in Australia, formed yep. the band in Australia, spent most of their time in Australia yep. writing songs about being like being... Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, are they a Scottish band? I they're not. They're know. not at all. They're, they're, you know, <laughs> exactly right. I think sort of um, if someone's born somewhere, but then they move to another country when they're like eight, and then they spend the rest of their life in that other country, then you sort of go, yeah, you know, probably it's that latter period of their life. You know, their you what? know their formative years where. Well, where surely where the band forms has got something to do. with Oh no doubt. You know, like even if you go somewhere when you're tw- when you're a student and you start a student band. With the, you know, like surely the band, like the place you're in where you're playing and where you go to pubs and play and stuff is, that has something to do. I think you're on shaky ground if you're claiming that ACDC is not an Australian <laughs> band, certainly. You know, I think when, uh, when we say Crowded House is an Australian band, I guess some people might be able to say, well... Some of the dudes there are from New Zealand, but yeah. they were formed in Australia. And I can and understand they, that sort of yeah. like, they're a little bit of both territory. And probably in these days where it's like, oh, I met a guy on YouTube who lives in, you know, yeah, Ukraine and I'm in Melbourne and then our bass players, you know, is, <laughs> you know, in somewhere in Scandinavia. Mm. I can understand that international sort of that can happen more so, but yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of genres, Tom, um, 3% were comedy, and I use the term comedy <laughs> very, very fucking loosely. Um, 3% country, and then the, the other genres get a bit difficult because pop, pop rock, you know, yeah. it's really, really yep. hard. So I sort of tried to break them up, and I just sort of thought it's about 60% sort of pure pop songs, but that can range from anything from like yeah. the dancier pop songs through to like poppy sort of ballads. Um, 20% pop rock I guess sort of like and there wasn't a lot and then sort of 7% I guess might be pure rock a couple of reggae and some soft rock in there which is sort of um, some pure soft rock it ain't heavy I think there was a compilation cassette that was released sometime in the late 90s and went by that um, and then just in time the type of artist just real quick this is my last data no, one please. I won't bore people shitless with this um, solo male 30% Solo female, 20%. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Duet, 5%. Charity Gang, 3%. (laughs) Um, I just put the charity people together because that's unto its own. Um, Male group, 30%. Female group, only 3%. I thought there'd be more. We seem to talk about about the bangles a lot and Banana Rama, but maybe it was just those two female groups. And then I've got male, female group, uh, 8%. So that's the mix with oh, okay. guys and girls in sort of the same band. So it's still so, solo male is the biggest Yeah, group. so solo male and then male group, those two together made up sort of 60%. So yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, anyway, so that's all the data for that that I've crunched the numbers. Just, I did have a quick look at crossover. So, um, so in the US, we had 147 number ones in Australia. The US had 232. So a okay. lot more. So yep. they had sort of almost close to a hundred more. So they sort of had a lot more one week and two weeks sort of action. Oh, they love novelty in America. <laughs> they do, don't they? <laughs> UK was 191, so slightly more than yep. us. And um, New Zealand was 151, so almost the same as Australia. Okay. Um, and in, so there were 68 crossover number ones between Australia and the US. Oh, okay. So 68 songs in the decade that were number one in both Australia and the USA. I thought it would have actually been more of that. If 40% of our stuff is coming from... Exactly, Although yeah. I suppose that's about 40% of the total, isn't it? Yeah, yeah getting close. So that makes sense. So that means yeah. there were 80 Australian number one songs that were unique to Australia and weren't number ones in the US. Yeah. Um, so in the UK, the crossover was, was 50 uh, and in New Zealand, 46. So in both both of those occasions, yeah. So basically 100 songs in Australia that weren't number ones yeah. in the UK or New Zealand. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's the number. I've crunched that data. That's all we've got. <laughs> um, no one probably gives a flying fuck about <laughs> any of that. But just, you know, if there's some sort of... You're at a trivia night and someone's like, how many... <laughs> Out of all the number one songs in Australia in the 80s, how many were by Australian artists? You can say 24. And you can write that down and people be like, how do you know that? And they'll go, bullshit. It must bullshit. be more than that. Be more than that. You'd be like, well, no, I got, the, I got this off a podcast, <laughs> which was very, very, it was researched, you know, very to well. The nines. To, to yes. the nines, exactly. Meticulously researched, certainly. Um, so I guess, Tom, now that we've looked at that, I just wanted to, to focus real quick on... Um, I had a look at the, so the, the people, the ARIA charts, obviously, as we know, from 83 through to 88, the yeah. Kent guy mm-hmm. composed them, and then ARIA took over getting their own data at the end for yeah. the last few years. But um, using that data, they compiled the top 25 songs of the decade. Oh, okay. And that is based on sales. Yeah. So they had a look at oh, the okay. sales figures yeah. for the decade. And said, here's the top 25 songs. Now, obviously, most of these were number one songs. Yeah. You know, implies they sell the most. So, we've talked about most of these, but there's a couple of songs in the top 25 um, that never reached number one, yet oh, sold, okay. sold sold more copies yeah. than other So, they ones. must have hung around a long time, not but not quite got to the top. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah. I think it would be remiss of us to not talk about the top 25 songs of the decade. I'm not going to go through all of them because, so for example, 25 is Faith. We've talked about that. Yeah. Womack and Womack, Teardrops, 24, Bananarama, Venus, Ice House, Electric Blue. So, I've talked about all those, but just the ones that, that weren't number one hits we haven't spoken about. Number 20 um, is The Only One Is Up by Yaz and the Plastic Population. <laughs> Are you a fan of Yaz? I am a fan of Yes. <laughs> and the Plastic Population. <laughs> I remember liking that song at the time. I, yep. You know, I was like 12, but sure. No, I was 10. <laughs> it was. Sort of... I still remember liking it. I think 
Confusingly, there's also a band called Yaz. Without the plastic population. That's very yes. confusing. No, it's a separate band because I remember once looking up a song that plays in, I think, I think it might be Mad Men. Okay. Thinking that's a really good song. And then I Googled it and it was, it turned to be Yaz. And I was like, hang on. This show is set in the 60s. Yeah, surely these guys didn't hang around for 20 years. No, until, and Yaz looks, she must have been very young when she started. So, Yeah, it was a different Yaz. Unless they had a lot of plastic surgery. Probably, yeah. Name, yes. um, look, Tom, this is way shitter than I remember. Um, <laughs> I don't want to shit on your memories. Oh, but hey, I was 10. I'm not complaining. Here's the thing, though. The chorus, the only way is up. It kicks in. It's very catchy. Gets yep. me you know, pumped up, excited, high on life. And the thing that I realise is that for the last... 30 years I've only heard the chorus you know uh, like they'll cut the, the yeah. and they'll put it you know maybe on like a, a TV commercial for for you know steak or something yeah. like to, you know or <laughs> you know like a milk advert or hot maybe hot air ballooning hot, yeah. hot air ballooning exactly erectile dysfunction erectile dysfunction exactly you know maybe at quarter time at the football maybe <laughs> sort of you know on a TV show a film so they'll just cut out the only ways up you listen to that and go mm-hmm. yeah that's really punchy um, the verse is a total dog shit though so oh, okay. that's, that's the thing the song came on and just went fuck I'm so bored and there is a chance <laughs> that I will lapse into a coma before it gets to the chorus so once you get to the chorus yeah, it's great, but um, pre that it's no good. So that's why they've that's just they've shame. just they've they've anic- they've cut out that sort of thirty second bit. That's good. So um, just if you're in the IGA, just stick around for the chorus and then leave. You don't have to listen <laughs> to the whole song. That's all I need to say. Um, so I think Yaz was a one hit wonder. However, um, the Yaz Mega Mix was France only release. Oh, okay. So I feel like that if the Yaz Mega Mix was released here in Australia, she could have had a second hit on her hands. I'm not sure what the fuck she was mega mixing. So obviously this song, but I'm not sure what else. Oh, a mega been. mix implies what? A, a mix is like two or three. <laughs> a mega mix, you need five, don't you? Four to five songs in a mega mix. If I'm if I buy a mega mix and there's three songs in there, I'm going back and saying she was French. It's a French sounding name, certainly, I, and I, she did look French. I remember she was a yeah. Uh, darker skinned lady with short very peroxided blonde hair she may have been French yeah she had and the name the plastic population has a bit of plastic betrond about it but absolutely who knows so, I mean it's in English though so yeah yeah I, th- I think she might have been so she might have lived in England but yeah I'm not sure of her origin but yeah certainly um, Yaz um, you've got yourself a, a, a very good chorus in one song and uh, I don't know what else is happening. Yeah. So I didn't bother checking out the Mega Mix, um, but I assume it's very, very good. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, some some other bullshit that oh, we've talked about before. Shut up your face. Isn't it? Shut up your face, yeah. We haven't talked about that because that was from 1980, but I, I have a feeling... The novelty song of the decade. Absolutely. Really Look, like... I think... Um, once we get to present day in this podcast, Tom, we may decide to go back and, and talk about years pre-1983 that we haven't talked sure, about. No, um, okay. If we want to do that. So we can talk about Shut Up Your Face later if you want but um yeah novelty song this was a number that surprising was a number one in several countries yes it was and i think he was australian <laughs> although we'll get to that later on, yeah I think. exactly but, yeah. basically if you haven't heard it it's italian minstrelsy but at least the guy is actually an italian yeah yeah doing his wacky if i was Santa to do it, it would, style. yeah if i did it i'd be cancelled time it'd be extremely <laughs> racist but for him to do it, it's completely street legal so it's i mean okay. it's no more racist than the dolmio puppets which we're fine to have on tv until 
from about <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Apparently, that's they finally went, oh, should we be satirising an entire nationality with car, with puppets? It seemed to be a, a, a jarred sources, Tom, was racism <laughs> was allowed there, um, whether it was Dormio, Grin or Canton. I remember those Canton ads with mm. the, the racist font on there. Yeah, and there was the, quite a lot, a lot of gongs happening. A lot, a lot of gongs. Everyone knew if, how to do karate. If I, if I recall correctly, when Canton for dinner, everybody hungry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm not doing the full accent, but you'll just have to take mm. my word for it. Was chicken tonight racist, Tom, or they kept it? They kept it above board. <laughs> I think it was just fucking stupid. I think it was stupid. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's not cancelable for sure. Um, so next one, Tom, old time rock and roll by Bob Seger was the thirteenth, thirteenth uh, biggest song of the decade. Movie song, yes, absolutely. And obviously, this was was super. This was actually uh, released in 1979. Um, oh, really? Uh. But yeah, Bob Seger's been around a long time. He's yeah, old, old but dude. hit hit um, hit big on the charts. Only made it to number three, um, so which is why we're talking about it now. Uh, but obviously, this featured in Risky Business. So of course, that's the in classic well, Tom Cruise when no one knew who he was, sliding around in his underpants and socks. Yep, singing, miming along, miming along to this song. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, look, that's that's a famous film scene. I think even if you've if you've not if you've yes. never seen Risky Business, I'm sure you've seen that film. Yeah. Uh, that sorry that that sequence on oh, some yes. sort of like whatever. Yeah. I remember seeing it before I had any idea who Tom Cruise was, yep. what Risky Business was, why a uni student would try and run a brothel out of his house or anything, and I didn't even really understand the '50s nostalgia that was behind this yeah. whole song. But it was that popular that I already had heard all the lyrics by the time I was like nine. Yeah, you know, is running a brothel out of your house is that risky business? I think that is the risky business mentioned. The riskiest business because it's risky business and it's a risky business. You see, they've cleverly combined those two concepts there. Would it if they remade the film in in twenty twenty one, Tom? Risky business. Would he still be doing that, or would he be doing something else these days? (laughs) Would he be trying to hack in to steal some Bitcoin or something (laughs) off a mafia boss? Or I think you could. The only way you could get away with it now would be by having an all-female cast who decide (laughs) to become empowered sex workers on their holiday. And that's true. That's I mean, true. it was pretty racy at the time. I remember. Yeah. You know, it was it was it was you know wasn't a kids movie. So you're thinking Rebel Wilson in the role of Tom Cruise, <laughs> yes, as a sex worker right. reenacting <laughs> the sliding across the floor type scenario, or she starts a stable of male prostitutes, like do the yeah, full the full that's gender true. swap. And, yeah. Look, that could work. Um, and if that's made in the next two years, can we somehow sue whoever we've? Can you copyright ideas, Tom? Because I think we've just come up with it's one of the genius. finest ideas genius of the decade. Um, so, look, obviously, but here's the thing, Tom. I'm not sure whether it was number one off the back of that, or in 1986, the song also featured in the TV series Alf, <laughs> where Alf. Um, of course the did. alien slid across the floor and, and parodied uh, the aforementioned Tom Cruise great. scene. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one of those two, either <laughs> number one because of risky business or because of Alf. But also, Alf we, we think, thinking long term, seems though, idiotic, but it was absolutely fucking. Messy. He was an alien, and he and he <laughs> ate cats, and it was all funny. So it was good. They, I think these days, Tom, if they remade Alf, they'd have to get rid of the cat eating component because you know animal rights people they'd have mm. a fucking they'd have a heart attack. Possibly, like, no. I have I haven't rewatched it ever, but I have a feeling that Alf is probably a bit more hands on in the. <laughs> Um, the uh, sexual um, 
advancement stage than is probably appropriate for him. There's a fair chance that um, there's not a lot you could salvage from the original in a 2021 <laughs> context, but you know we'll 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 find out soon enough mm. because there is nothing, and I say nothing, <laughs> that Hollywood will not remake. Um, no, it's about time. Yeah, I was a huge fan. Speaking of the eighties, of the cartoon show yep. about Elf, which was actually oh, ex- it's actually I had a little squeeze at it the other day, and it's as good as I remember it being extraordinarily well drawn and animated. I think it might have been done in Japan, and it looks it was about Elf's uh, teenage years at home on planet Milmac, okay. where he just hung around with all these other Elfs and stuff, and it was full of amazingly weird, trippy visual stuff. Nice. Yeah, it was actually really cool. So a spin-off that it was, was much, possibly better than the... Oh, yeah. it was far more intelligent and <laughs> better for well, kids than the original. More intelligent? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can believe that, Tom, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, look, I say that Hollywood will remake everything. They may not remake um, Thomas C. Howell's The Soul Man. Are you familiar <laughs> with that one? Where... <laughs> That's probably one that is relegated to the dustbin. If you don't know what that's about, um, so the Soul Man, he he paint he, he he's a white guy. He wants to go to Harvard Law School. Tom, mm. it's very expensive to go it to Harvard Law School. It's hard for white people to get advantages. In the he world. couldn't get a scholarship, but fortunately, there was a scholarship available for African American students. So mm. he um, he applied for that, but he was white. What did he do? He had to blackface for the entire film so he could get this sort of. <laughs> Scholarship. Um, I should point out that he was the hero of the film. He was the this hero is, of the film. This isn't a guy that the police were after. No, no. So he he blackfaced for I think four years at Harvard <laughs> Law School, pretending to be black so he could get a scholarship. Um, and look, the thing about the film, Tom, is that I'm offended by it. It's not so much that he blackfaced; it's the fact that he was in a relationship with someone. Of Afri- who was African American who just believed that he was a black dude but it's like this is clearly a white guy in makeup we can't you, you know like I don't know what's going on like have you you know you, you kiss him you put your hand on his face you like get some black face on there like there was obviously not a lot of any sort of physical mm. situation mm. happening whatsoever but also it just looked hella fake so I don't know yeah, but I mean, speaking that? of reboots, that film was later remade as White Chicks. So, <laughs> it's very know, true, yeah, absolutely. At least it went on to do something yeah. good in the world. So yeah, so sorry, getting back real quick to Bob Seger. <laughs> so we've got Risky Business, we've got ALF, and we've also got, in early 2020, the song was featured in a Domino's Pizza commercial about contactless delivery during the COVID-19 pandemic. So it's been used for those three things. What do you think long term? And I'm talking. I'm not talking 2021. I'm talking in 2050. You're mm. in an IGA in 2050. You're getting eggs. <laughs> Old time rock and roll comes on. Are you thinking? Oh, it's the song from Risky Business. Are you thinking? Oh, I remember this from Alf. Or are you thinking? Oh, this is the song that was uh, in that contactless delivery ad for Domino's. <laughs> what do you What do you think is going to hold stand the test of time? Hmm. I would say by that stage, all the baby boomers will be dead. So there'll be no 50s nostalgia for the original one. All the Gen X will be suffering from crippling brain damage, like I'm almost there now. So I'll have no memory of the 80s nostalgia. So I'm thinking it'll be uh, 
Gen Z getting nostalgic for that time when they were fourteen yep. and they got a year off from school. True. So they'll be they'll be getting nostalgic about contactless deliveries. <laughs> <and Tom>. <laughs> <laughs> I've just realised contactless delivery is really hard to say, but um, yeah. So I I completely agree. Two thousand fifty people just feel like, oh, it's that song from the the mm. contactless delivery Domino's ad. So that's good to know. So, um, old time rock and roll. Good to see that it served a purpose. Um, that's, yeah, that's I'm glad we can cram in another fucking movie song. I just I truly <laughs> forgot how many. It does that just doesn't really happen. I've got I've got a like I've it, got a movie like, song list, Tom. Later on, that will yeah, blow your fucking mind. It it's insane. At least a half a dozen per year songs that were full on raging number one hits. From people just because they were in movies. If someone like said often new artists who oh, were exactly. made popular by being in a movie, you know? yeah. If someone said to me, "Name a popular song from a big film from the last ten years," I don't think I could name yeah, any. Certainly not a number one hit. You know, no, no. I mean, there's shit from like Frozen or whatever the fuck that kids probably know. Yeah, but like they're new, none of these are musicals. No, that's the other no, thing. We're thing. just talking about movie soundtracks. Yep. Fucking Brisky Business is yes. far from a musical. Oh, exactly. But all these songs, <laughs> it's yeah, almost pornography. We've talked about a heap of songs already, um, and I sort of have tried. I thought I'm going to compile my top three mm. movie songs, and um, ended up with a, with a list of about fifty. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> no, not, that's not good. due to me trying. Just went fucking hell. Look at those songs. All right. Um, so, yeah, that one. 11th biggest song of the decade, purportedly, is Run to Paradise by the Choir Boys. <laughs> wow. Can you believe that? Came, made it to number three. Yeah, Australian. In the charts. They are Australian. Wow. Well, they were big. They I were. I remember big. Everybody's Dad used to have a Choir Boys cassette in the Absolutely. Car. Absolutely. <laughs> Often two. Best of the Choir Boys. Absolutely. Just to replace the first one when it melted on the dash when you left it out. Now, Tom, have you raised that because you know the story I'm about to tell? or do No, you... no. I just remember everyone's dad having a fucking copy. So, why not? I'll tell you a story very quickly, Tom. Sure. Um, back in whenever this was released in uh, 87, so it's probably around that time, maybe 88, 89. Um, my grandparents live about 30 minutes outside of Launceston. Yep. Not a, not a long drive, but, you know, I guess in, in Launceston terms, probably a significant drive. Um Family jumped in the car. Our car had been broken into, Tom. Oh, my God. Some local people in Mowbray, um, in which was probably, you know, a bad neighbourhood back then. I don't know. Has Mowbray been gentrified, Tom? I'm not Some sure. Some grade sixes were walking past the car. Absolutely. A crowbar in their hand anyway, because yep. they were off to so that, collect some juice from Timmy down the street. And, that's true. Um, yeah, they thought, while we're here... Absolutely, probably trying to steal some stuff to pawn it to go get some KFC because there was one not too mm. far away. They didn't have any <laughs> other takeaway in Tasmania at that time. Um, so anyway, the car the car was fine. Like you know, the lock was. Dad was still able to use the keys to get into the car. Everything yep. you know, everything was fine. Glove box had been wrenched open. All the cassettes stolen, oh. um, including a copy of uh, <laughs> Choir Boys' "Big Bad Noise," which is the album that this song came. Oh, with. okay, sure. I must admit, this is the only song of this yeah well Tom I'll tell you about a few others in just a short moment (laughs) but um so we had to drive for 30 minutes but you can't drive for 30 minutes without a copy of the choir boys big bad noise so we detoured into the city my dad went into Maya (laughs) which was a a a, you know a music retailer at the time as well I don't think they've done that for quite some time went down to the basement and said I need a cassette copy of choir boys big bad noise right now the guy said, I'll look out the back. We've got one. There you go. We bought it. 
put it in the tape deck. 20 Australian dollars. Now about 58 Australian dollars. 20 Australian, yeah, it would have been about 58 dollars. So, yep. Plastic, highly fragile. (laughs) Absolutely. But yeah, my dad refused to do the trip without a copy of this album. So, I think that just talks about the quality of um, what contains... Lest, uh, I just say, lest any millennials start getting nostalgic or start thinking about bringing back cassettes as a sort of retro medium, may I just point out that the interior of a car, average summertime heat will easily reach 40 degrees. Oh, and yeah. the melting point of a cassette is about, I think it's 40.5 degrees. So yep. <laughs> they, they don't make a particularly... Um, long-lasting car. They do not. Medium. Yeah. Fortunately for my family, they got stolen with such frequency that we were able to get a new <laughs> copy every once in a while. People would break into the car, so it steal it. Issue. Yeah, my dad sure. would be like, that's fine, I'll go buy another one because I need this. So I'm not sure how many this sold, but um, my dad was probably responsible for buying two, three hundred thousand probably, <laughs> but yeah, a lot. So great album. Um, so... Just prior to this album coming out, they were known as Choir Boys, but then they changed their name for this album to The Choir Boys. Would this have been as big of a hit if they were simply known as Choir Boys, Tom? Well, given that they the weren't Choir, choir, they choir Boys weren't versus choir The Choir Boys, I suppose it could have caused some confusion. Oh, look, I'm certainly confused. And look, I think that The Choir Boys, does it sound better than Choir Boys? I don't know, but look, they obviously made the decision that we need to change the name to The Choir Boys. It's going to be more of a hot sort of number. So they did that. Um, yeah, so that, that that was pretty good. They also had the few other songs off this album. Boys Will Be Boys. Do you know that one, Tom? Or you're not really familiar? Oh, yeah. Boys Will Be Boys. Yes. So it sort of gets people pumped up in the pub because <laughs> boys, I think, will be boys. I think that's, um, that's fair enough. It was a popular saying. Um, yeah, often used to excuse boys will be boys yeah. definitely involving unwanted advances towards women definitely definitely Shyla broke up with Shane and he went and got an axe and beat up her Commodore mm. boys will be boys that's, that's um, right. yeah that's probably How sort right of not great yep. and Struggle Town was another song <laughs> off the album which is fantastic Struggle Town which is um, how you know, I guess most people were feeling up on Saturday morning after a big night out at a choir boys gig mm. uh, on a Friday night, just after a lot of VBs and various other West Coast coolers, I guess, etc. Yeah, et it's a way that uh, yep. plumbers who make 120 grand a year and only own two investment properties like to refer to themselves when they're discussing why Aborigines shouldn't be allowed to get the dole. <laughs> Because they're living in struggle town. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's an expression that remains popular to this day. It, as it remains well. very really, popular. It seems like the choir boys really had their finger on the pulse. Oh, I'm did. surprised more people don't describe going down to the shops as running to paradise. Exactly. I'm. I'm surprised. This. This is probably still played quite a lot on sort of rock radio. Australian imagine. classic yeah. rock. Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So run to paradise. Yeah, look, it's pretty good. Um, I think there's one of the lyrics is like. Dad! I'll meet you at the grocery store. Oh, I don't yeah. know what, why. They were going down the shop. Probably just going to the IGA just to listen to, get some eggs and listen to 80s hits. Their own songs. Their own song, which is played there quite frequently. Um, Nick Skitt, don't know anything about him, but he did a terrible fucking dance remix of this in 2004. Are you familiar he, with Nick Skitt? In the aughts, he was a very popular sort of... He was kind of a sort of uh, inner city bogany dude who did a lot of trashy dance stuff 
Did he remix a lot of 80s rock songs into That's dog shit? That's exactly yeah. the kind of stuff he would do. I mean, I would actually put him a level above, say, Entrance or something. <laughs> At least he was making actual dance music, not just shitty disco covers of shitty disco stuff that was all... Yeah, anyway. Oh, look, we'll get to I'm talk not, about Entrance in a few weeks' Nick's time, and they're is, fucking awful, but yeah. He helped a generation of young men have something to test their in-car CD players that they'd just got from Absolutely down right. at... Um, what's that place called? One with the green and yellow line along it. <laughs> Car stereo retailers. Yeah. Hey, mate, come on, look at me new Rockford Fosgate subbies, mate. Check this out. And then you would just you hear crank up this. After the release of Mad Max, I realised that Americans do not have the expression doof oh, they in don't. the country. They think it's doof. Because one of the characters' credits is listed at the, the guitar guy, his credits is listed as the Doof Warrior. Oh, okay. And they, never having heard it before, they understandably think it's pronounced Doof. Doof Warrior. To rhyme with roof or. <laughs> so, what are, so, what do they call They just call it like dance music or something? I like guess. That. I mean, I'm sure they have their own terms for it, but yeah, if you're wondering why it's called Doof, it's because when you hear a lowered, you know, listen, <laughs> listen 626. Uh, as the 626 go past with the back windows open and the you know the lowered um, drop tank dragging sparks on the ground yep. and just the music coming out of the back just goes yep. go past that's that's doof it's a good way to test the stereo out though I think so with the Nick Skits um, remix so, of uh, yeah. Choir Boys for sure so look I, I heard a dude the other day um, Tom blasting um, Nirvana Nevermind at a volume that was so extreme that I don't know whether <laughs> the guy thought it had just come out like it was like I reckon well, I was two blocks away, and I was just like I'd going. Put it above so. Nick Skits, though. Oh, absolutely! No, look, I'm not. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm just sort of saying it is good to see that 30 year old albums people are still prepared to play them at a volume that suggests that is that yeah, people want to hear that still. Them. So yeah, no, it's all good. So um, so there was that number six uh, on this list is Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. I think we already. This, this only got to number two, we, but we've talked. About, I think we yeah. did talk about it. We did because yeah. Huey Lewis. Um, remember, he got. Remember, yes, he, I remember. Huey that. Lewis yeah. sued uh, Ray Parker Jr. So we have talked about this song, and then so. he counter sued back. Weirdly. Exactly. So we don't really have to talk about this because we have talked about it. But I will just say that yeah, number yeah, two, sure. but number six. Uh, um, I will just quickly say that um, in the video clip, Ray Park Jr. Um, Appears to be he is a ghost. Have you seen the music video to this? <laughs> I Fucking have. hell! Yes, because he, I think one. I think he's the ghost, or is he trying to play the ghost? He's either being the ghost, or he's just stalking someone, yep. and he sort of sings that an invisible man sleeping in your bed, and then just sort of <laughs> pops out from underneath <laughs> this chick's bed, and she's like freaking the fuck out. Going, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. like going, I hope he is. Being a ghost, and you can see the ghost, because yes. otherwise it's just another video that involves a sexual predator, <laughs> a sexual predator that then goes on to look at someone directly to camera and say, "Busting makes me feel good." <laughs> now I don't really know what that means. It's a great it's lyric. Ghost busting, I assume, <laughs> um, not busting anything else. But yeah, the video clip's pretty weird. But um, it's, look, it's it's a catchy song. Number one, number two, sorry, best of the decade, number six, but. Do you, it, it, what's what's better, Tom? Is it this one, the the original, which probably is, but I don't want to sort of taint <laughs> your views. Is it in number two where Run DMC got involved? They did a remix of this song yeah. with Run DMC. So it's basically a similar song, but Run DMC were doing he, some rapping. I think he did m- music for that as well yes. too. Like yep. he came back for that. So the Run DMC Ghostbusters two theme um, in the reboot, recent reboot, it was Fallout Boy and Missy Elliott. 
Um, it was which was, <laughs> was fucking awful. Or um, I'll throw a wild card in the mix. Was it um, Michael the Turtle um, from New Caledonia, who's a fictional turtle who reached number five in the French music charts with a reworking of the Ghostbusters theme in two thousand and five, I believe. I'm not totally familiar with Michael the Turtle, but if I had to guess, I might think that the biggest medium that he employed uh, to get his music out to the world was probably the mobile phone ringtone. <laughs> but he happened to fall into the Look, I era it. defined yes. by cartoon animals with their dicks hanging out, singing extremely shit techno remixes in infomercials at 12.30am. Yep. Look, I watched that music video for Michael the Turtle <laughs> doing this, and let's just say that... Um, very heavily influenced by Crazy Frog, like, <laughs> to the point that it is just a fucking ripoff. Um, let's just say, in Crazy Frog's success, what if we did a turtle yep. and he's called Michael the Turtle? This is a goat because obviously um, Crazy Frog got big off uh, Axel F from Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. Um, so, and in this, Michael the Turtle doesn't even sing, he just goes, it is the fucking most annoying shit I've ever heard in my life, but still better than the Fallout Boy one. So, there you go. So second most of them, I guess. Yeah. Sure. And one more, Tom. Sorry, real quick. No, that's okay. Um, what else have we got? The number, the, the number two song of the decade. Yeah. Um, so number, sorry, number one song, most high selling single in Australia yeah. for the decade was Kylie Minogue, Locomotion. Um, oh, people are God. on fucking drugs because this shit sucks. Um, one thing I will point out is that in, I think it was New Zealand or maybe the US, this song didn't chart at all because no one gives a flying fuck about yep. it. I think it was the US, but someone else had actually covered the locomotion in the early eighties. So it was all it oh, was a number okay. one song. Yeah. So another another group. Um, I can't remember who exactly. I just remember looking at that. But yeah. So maybe people just went. We've had too much locomotion. We don't need any more locomotion. I didn't need the locomotion um, no. at all in my life because <laughs> it is, is awful. But that was number one. Number two was um, this song only reached number five on the charts. So, so it must no, have hung around a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Time. No higher than five. But um, obviously around for a lot and sold a lot in the weeks that it sort of was at number five. Bruce Brinstein, Dancing in the Dark. Oh, yeah. So the That's second biggest song. Yeah, second biggest song in the decade. I can um, see why that there's a big groundswell of Bruce fans and they are replenished by young people and they yep. don't go away. He's as popular now as he ever was. Absolutely. And just, yeah. And I just, just real quickly, I will just point out that um, interestingly, sort of just reading about the song, obviously I know the song and um, the video clip's obviously quite famous with some, you know, pretty poor dance moves, but Courtney Cox is in there. Oh yes, um, getting pulled on stage yep, spontaneously. Yep. But apparently, so Bruce, he was told that um, he needed a hit single for the record. So um, I think this is like his, he'd already released a lot of albums before this, but um, basically they said, look, we love all the songs you've done, but I think you need a hit. You've got to go and write a hit single. If you don't do it, we're going to get someone to write a hit single for you yep. on the album. So he went away, wrote this one overnight just penned it 24 hours, went in, recorded it, um, and it was the highest chart position that he's ever had. Number two in the US, um, obviously, as I said, number five in Australia, Wham! was the number one song at the time, so we yep. couldn't overcome this. But, so everyone said, there's no hits on this, you need a hit. 
he released seven singles off this album, and yep. all seven were top ten singles in in uh, the US. I was going to say because after this, he had plenty of hits. yeah, exactly. Like Hungry Heart, that was a massive yep. hit. That was his same era. I yeah, think. for sure. So this was his biggest hit, but set six other songs off this album were uh, top ten songs in the US. So obviously, well done. Born bro. in the USA, obviously. It's a oh, very, of very course. Popular yeah, song. that was Super fucking. Big, so. Reagan used that for his election campaign, famously. <laughs> like, yeah. absolutely. Um, so I listened to, I watched the video. Listened this again and then I went and checked out um, the Blaster Mix um, which uh, reached number 7 on the dance charts um, I was going to make some finger blasting <laughs> joke there about Courtney Cox but I won't Tom, we're better than that I'm better than that, so there we go um, yeah, so that's that the top 25 of the decade yeah, no, I mean it's impressive Like I would not have picked that there would be so many songs that uh, didn't quite make it but just stuck around on the strength of, you know, how much people actually liked them, you know? Yeah, I guess there's like number one, depending on a certain week, a song might sell, you know, say 100,000 and that's enough to be number one. Mm. But then this might only ever sell 50,000 a week, but it might do that for like five, six, seven yeah, weeks. So. Yeah, or if there's if it's from a film like Ghostbusters. In those days, if a movie was big, they would play the movie for six months. True. A year sometimes. And they might just keep like, pumping the seat, yeah. keep the replenishing brashes yep. shelves. And they were saying they, they, with, go, with uh, that song, it's estimated that that added $20 million to the really? box office of wow. the film. Like, you just know, for, it, for Ghostbusters. Just That's for crazy. that song. Like, That's because great. it was so popular that it just becomes this endless commercial for itself so people yep. see the movie they think that song's fucking sick they go out and go buy, the, buy, buy the song and vice versa they hear the song on the radio okay what's this from it's yep. basically a big commercial for the fucking you know the video clips a giant big budget commercial for the movie so then you know it just Absolutely. feeds into itself oh for sure Tom and I think I had a Ghostbusters game on the Sega Master System as well <laughs> which probably got me to revisit the song and it song. would have featured a shitty 8-bit chip tune it licensed did. it did it and the game sucked as well from what I remember yeah. so yeah, they haven't made a good one yet, but I'm sure they'll get there. <laughs> they only that. had 35 years to work on it. I'm sure we'll get there one of these days. So, yeah, that's that. What do you got for me, Tommy? You got anything? Uh, not specifically to do with the chart no. stuff. No, but, but it was good to hear, um, you know, some outside, outliers and bits and pieces from, you know, Absolutely. that sort of thing. For sure. Once you get into the, um, once you get into the minutiae of the chart stuff, like, I mean, apart from anything else... We we were only we were only talking about Australia. Like I yep. have to keep reminding myself we're just sort of specifically looking at Australian stuff. But yeah, I mean if you get into if you look at you know every country has its own fucking charts and then there's yep. all these other weird little bits and pieces. Like you say, even even in a time in a fairly patriotic country, in a time when we were legitimately producing some world class quite a lot of stuff music only mm. what was it 20 percent yeah yeah 20 24 out of the 147 were actually so. from australia yeah, so absolutely. we're it's all a shared pool you know each country's got i was looking at the french mm. uh charts through the 80s and they're only about 50 percent french language okay this is you know 30 to 40 years ago in a country that is famously parochial about maintaining their own language and shit yeah. and still half of their songs are either american or they're french dudes singing Dudes and dudettes oh, okay. singing in English, in just English, like yeah. you know, like yeah, absolutely, yeah, no, interesting. Sorry, no, please. Have you got anything else? What else have you got? Oh, Tom got so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, you mentioned the other countries. I mean, sure. I, I thought we were going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I thought we'd sort of, you know, I've I had a look at um, New Zealand charts, obviously our closest neighbour, sure. um, and America to have a look at some sure. songs that. 
didn't make it to number one in Australia, but were big hits overseas. No um, worries. I had and, to and look you had at, a look um, at Europe, Europe? And the UK cool. to see what... Um, yeah. Absolutely. So, oh, look, uh, should we just go back and forth on a yeah, couple of... Yeah, yeah. I came up with five kind of interesting ones that, yeah, awesome. as far as I can tell, made almost no impact in Australia at all, but they seem to have been massive fucking hits in other countries. Yep. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, what have you got? You want to hit me Oh, uh, look, one? I'll kick it off, um, first of all, Tom, with uh, oh, New Zealand. We'll go to New Zealand, won't we? So, mm-hmm. I mean, look, we'll have a look at this. Sure. So, um, New Zealand, um, they had, uh, 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 obviously... We in Australia and look across the world, it wasn't just here, but um, the charity single was a big uh, yes. thing yep. in the 80s. Um, so obviously we had, you know, We Are The World and Don't I Know It's Christmas for, for Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what friends are for, raising money for AIDS, um, research, etc. And there was, was there another one? I can't remember. There probably was. Oh, there were many oh, others around this ones. time. There was, in America, they had farm aid. That was a whole other True. thing. That's there was, right. what was it? We had live aid. Yeah, we had, yeah. What was the other one? So there was Band-Aid, Band-Aid USA for Africa. Live Aid, yep. USA for Africa, Farm Aid, and yeah. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of that. So um, New Zealand, um, look, they did the same thing. They had a super group called All of Us, and they had a song called Sailing Away. Oh, sorry, by the way, I, there was a French one of these two. <laughs> oh, was it? <laughs> French I can't remember what it's called, but it was just... It was almost the same video, but it's just we are the world. But then you just see, oh, here's Jared Depardieu on the mic in the corner. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, just That's good in case you think French mixed out in the embarrassing charity single, they did not. They had their own version as well. Good to see they had Gerard Depardieu involved. So, 100% yeah. involved. That's good. That's good. Um, so, yeah, so New Zealand had one called All of Us. Um, the song was called Sailing Away. And that was a 1986 single by, by the supergroup Singers and Personalities to um, raise awareness of the New Zealand super yacht KZ7 um, <laughs> for, the, for the America's Cup. And look, as, as I mentioned, Tom, um, so this was number one for nine weeks. It was actually the longest song um, of the decade. And I th- it was actually the longest run for a number one song until 2009 Bloody um, in New Zealand. So that was pretty big. They must have been really invested in that. Yeah, look, and, and I think what it is, Tom, is that as we've talked about, you know, people are really interested in raising awareness for, you know, AIDS charities, for <laughs> for Africa, mm-hmm. um, all those sorts of things. And I guess, you know, yacht poverty is not something we talk about a lot. But, <laughs> no, you know, no. It's but a... look, you know, yachts are really expensive to maintain. And, you know, yacht owners, are, you know, some of them are the most vulnerable people in society, you know, a lot of them because of the some expense. Some of them are only multimillionaires, you know, and yeah. For sure. I mean, you own a yacht, um, you know, you can't, a lot of them can't afford to eat, Tom, because no. the amount of money you need to put into a yacht right. is a lot. So I think that it if, was really good. If six or seven of your yachts, God forbid, go down in hurricanes around the world, you know, you could be in deep financial straits. Absolutely. You might have to start selling off your investment property. Exactly right. Exactly. And I think it was good of, you know, all of us and the song saying away to really raise awareness <laughs> of, yes. of yacht poverty and say, look, by, I think, you know, by... By, I think by the year 2000, they wanted to eliminate yacht poverty so that some of the most vulnerable people in society, these yacht owners, could, you know, they could afford to eat. They could afford to live. They could afford to get themselves out of this yacht poverty and just live a regular life like you or I, Tom. So I think that this song, it, it's a very important issue that not a lot of people have spoken about. Have you actually heard it? It's terrible, yeah. Oh, but damn. I was going to say, maybe it was actually good no, and that's why it was at for nine weeks Number Nine one, weeks, bananas. But I think, oh, I mean, the, the people that that sort of said, "Look, I'm gonna, you know, I'm 
<laughs> going to put my name to this. I want to try and break the cycle of yacht poverty. You've got mm. Dave Dobbin. Yep. You've got Tim Finn. Oh my god. You've got some newsreaders, <laughs> um, a Commonwealth Games weightlifter, a rugby coach, a cricketer, um, someone that was in the Wimbledon finals, uh, an Olympic canoeist. The creme de la creme of New Zealand talent mm. getting together to say, let's end yacht poverty now, Tom. Mm. And New Zealand was so invested in it that they put it at number one for, for nine, nine weeks. weeks. Absolutely right. Um, so that's good. So I don't know, does yacht poverty exist today, Tom? Did they eliminate it? Well, I think Alan Bond was a big help uh, yep. in Australia uh, before he had his tragic memory loss and couldn't remember where he'd funneled uh, hundreds of millions mm, of dollars in yep. taxpayer money. Probably away. into a yacht. Mm, so he just... Almost certainly into a yacht. And that's why he was so poor. <laughs> so we were death. blameless, but we did not write a song about yachts and put it at number one. No, no. So for I think... nine weeks. I don't think even Come On Aussie, Come On was at number one for nine weeks. And that <laughs> well, was about a sport no. that people actually give a fuck about. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's that's a highlight for me, Tom, from New Zealand, that those guys <laughs> got together to do something that, you know, in Australia, we just turn a blind eye to <laughs> yacht poverty. We say we don't care about those yacht owners and their expensive mm. yachts and their inability to pay it's the cruel, bills. Isn't it? it is cruel. It is cruel. And you know, I think that they're just they've, they've got our best intentions at heart. We just won the America's mm. Cup, you know, and New Zealand saying, "Why can't we do that as well? Let's alleviate yacht poverty. Let's raise some money for these guys. Let's get that KZ7 to the 1987 America's Cup and let's win." If there's one thing conservative politicians have taught me Ben over the last 10, 20 years, mm. it's that if you don't give millions of dollars to yacht owners you're basically Karl Marx so you you know you may as well just start communism again absolutely right for sure it's all about channeling money into yachts Mm. um, so that we as a society (laughs) have something to look forward to that's right I mean if if it wasn't for the America's Cup every year why am I living I don't even know why am I living? Completely valid question. Absolutely. All right, Tom. So all of us sailing away nine weeks, New Zealand. You got something for me? Sure. Um, I've got something from the UK. This was the Christmas number one, <laughs> 1980. St. Winifred's School Choir. There's no one quite like Grandma. <laughs> now, good. if there's one thing they love in the UK, it's a shit number one, as I think we've discovered. Fucking, don't they? And if there's one thing they love even more, it's a shit Christmas number one. Yeah. Um, and additionally... The video for this uh, was filmed on Top of the Pops, 1980. Now, Ben, I'm not sure how much you know your TOTP, but uh, did you know who the host was in 1980? Is it was it someone that's now like cancelled or in prison? Uh, slightly cancelled. It was uh, Jimmy Savile who, <laughs> okay. in the video, Dead introduces yeah. this. <laughs> he seems like he's already drunk and. Good. Barely under control. Then the camera pans across and there's 30, I would say, nine-year-old children and under wearing pink choir dresses getting ready to sing about grandma. Holy shit. And fuck grandma, you just want to yell, run at them <laughs> at the top of your voice. It is 100% like a nightmare from a Father Ted episode. You expect to see a drunken Father Jack lurching across the screen, drooling whiskey and staggering towards the nearest children. But, I mean, even pedophilia aside, this is just a revoltingly transparent attempt to get confused old people to spend money on the memory of their weird-looking kids by buying a song sung by some other weird-looking kids. 
and none of whom are going to be getting any of the money from this <laughs> at all. So yeah, I mean, it's just literally what it sounds like. It's a it's a it's a 60 school choir, little kids. Yes, I mean it's a it's a good one by the yeah. standards of a school choir. Like, and then there's just a kind of scream with just. A, a, a sort of hovering visage of an old lady and the song is just about how much they love grandma and how much grandma loves them just in a utterly sickeningly transparent attempt just to get old people to spend yeah. money on this single it's just nauseating a lot of terrible number ones in the UK as you said Tom but that sounds like one of the worst I can uh, remember it's so. pretty bad if you watch it now especially given that what they now use as a joke, that kind of incredibly bad 1980s video quality where any moving light is <laughs> LSD traces across the screen. It yeah. looks like a joke from Father Ted. Yep. Like, especially introduced by a pedophile. Yeah. It's 40 children singing around. Anyway, you get the joke. When I was okay. living in the UK, Tom, um, the number one Christmas single was uh, Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name of, because oh, uh, yes. remember they did that. Everyone was really upset about it always being some X Factor dickhead, yeah. so they went. So some let's, radio station let's, had a thing. Let's yeah. everyone buy the, the Rage Against the Machine <laughs> well, thing from 20 years ago. Good so, on them, I say. Yeah, but I, I've had a look, and um, subsequent to that, and yeah, it does. Every year, apart from that year when it was Rage Against Machine, it does seem to be a lot of just terrible novelty songs. So this doesn't surprise yeah. me. They've got a, a kids' choir to do that. So, yep, good, good. Um, I'm going <laughs> back to doing? New Zealand, Tom, oh, okay. um, for 1983's hit Taco, Putting on the Ritz. <laughs> familiar with this one? I am, and you know what? I will admit, I secretly quite like this song. I think the song's pretty good. I, like, um, I think it's the original song <laughs> the, is catchy. Yeah, That's exactly. the thing. This, it's like a 1920s. 20s, yep. yeah. So <laughs> this came out in 1929 and Taco, who's from the Netherlands, of course he is, because they fucking love this shit. Um, sort of do it, like, it's always some Dutch G- DJ or a dude from Germany that's like yeah. butchering the fuck I think out of something. I think he's half Indonesian Yeah, I as think well, so, yeah. And he's got a Mexican name. It makes no <laughs> sense at all. It's a big hit in New Zealand. For sure. So... Um, this is so yeah. Putting on the Ritz. It's a song from 1929 that Taco's covered. So it's it's already 50 years old, over by the time yeah. he's covered it. And now it's like it's almost a hundred years old <laughs> at this stage. Like no shit. It's ninety Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's that, and the video clip just features more blackface I've ever seen in my life. Like just oh, extreme amounts I of blackface. About that. So this one, I really like this one, Tom, because for me it has the requisite level of unoriginality and racism, which I think it's sort of. <laughs> You know, you can find an unoriginal song almost anywhere, and you can find a racist song almost anywhere, but to find an unoriginal and racist song together is fantastic. The, so, uh, the lyrics aren't actually racist, no, I should say, it's which just in the, fact it's is just kind of unusual and, for 1929. No. It's kind of surprising that they aren't racist. Yep, exactly. Just the video is just racist. Just the video is pretty racist. And the song's ancient. Yep. Yep. And Taco, um, he followed this up with a cover of Singing in the Rain, so you know that this dude knows where it's at with like shitty show tunes and bullshit. <laughs> Shit, garbage from yesterday, but time. um, but yeah, it's okay. So he, uh, I don't, I don't know whether I think Taco, I think he's a one-hit wonder, probably with this. You'd say, um, so. yeah. I checked out his page. He's still, I think, operating in some sort of form today, <laughs> which is weird. But I assume it's just like going on those sort of package tours and coming up and doing. <laughs> Putting on the rips and then like <laughs> fucking hoping no one remembers how racist the video clip was. But um, yeah, so good on New Zealand for getting that to number one. Um, yeah, love it. 
should be a special subcategory of uh, one-hit wonders, which are one-hit wonders who didn't even write the song. No, just did a cover yeah. of someone. Alien Ant Farm style. Or like lo- Locomotion, where that's that's three generations of one-hit wonders of like co- like a shitty oh, original yeah. song that's a one-hit wonder, a cover of the shitty song that's a one-hit wonder, and then another cover of the shitty song. Oh, that's exactly. Yeah, by the kind Kylie hit number one with that, it's probably like the fourth time or so. I'm happened, sure. So, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely. Okay. What else, Tom? Uh, <laughs> uh, this is another uh, UK one. Yep. Um, four weeks, 1983. This is Renee and Renato, Save Your Love. Mm. Uh, this song is, um, you might actually recognize it, uh, if you heard it, this was what every supermarket sounded like for my entire childhood, which was this particular kind of, it's from 83, but it has this unmistakable 70s sound of like the sort of cheesy overdone strings and Uh, the tinkly sort of glissando harp effects. It's the kind of stuff they would play in an Italian restaurant in a cartoon. It's from 83. It already sounds 10 years out of taste. Um, It's, I mean, in general, like, as we'll see, it's pretty easy to mock 80s, you know, uh, video fashion, but the video for this involves what looks like an understudy from Charlie's Angels TV show standing on a cardboard balcony, maybe the giddy heights of maybe two feet above <laughs> what looks like a tiramisu wholesaler who spent the last 40 years getting high on his own supply. <laughs> like, um, I will say though, like the Winifred school choir before them, these people can actually sing like Renato no. seems like the fourth tenor who got kicked out for not doing enough sit-ups. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like he can actually sing in a kind of vaguely operatic way, but yeah. When it when you when people talk about how the eighties was this classic era of music, you have to remind yourself that it was also full of shit like this as oh, well. Yeah. Ditto the seventies too. <laughs> like there was an awful lot of MacArthur Park for every Led Zeppelin album that came out. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So so it's basically just any generic song you've ever heard in an Italian restaurant that's made it to number one somehow. That's what it sounds but like. like. Not not a but not Italian restaurant like a a cliche in a yes. film or like, like not what, in, no one in real life has ever walked into an Italian restaurant they've played this. No, if you're watching like a low, or maybe at the time, but now yeah. if you're watching like a low budget sketch show mm. and they needed royalty free music to play in the background of an Italian yeah. comedy, Italian restaurant sketch, this is the kind of thing like a big fat bloke going, oh, so le mio. <laughs> and then a lady going, I love you so much. So in the Domeo Tinkle, ad tinkle, then, tinkle, tinkle yeah. in the background, you know, like the plastic <laughs> fountain recycles very old stale water onto two sad looking fish in the middle of the foyer and shit but yeah anyway all right that's enough about renee and renato cool i'm going back to new zealand one more time tom um our neighbors in the east um they know what they're up to with this one idlevice bring me idlevice do you know this i have a feeling i have heard this but yes remind me well, fucking hell, Tom! <laughs> this is absolutely awful. But let's re- let's we need to take a few steps back, sure. okay? So back, um, eighty nine. Okay. Yeah, eighty nine. So um, we're, we're taking a step back just because in nineteen eighty eight, um, the Time Lords, aka the KLF, KLF yeah. aka the Jams, which who we've spoken about before, you know, they burn a million pounds, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. 
they released Doctoring the TARDIS, didn't they? Which was yes. a, which was didn't reach number one in Australia, so we didn't speak about it a lot. It reached number two, but effectively that was um, the KLF saying, "Let's try and do a shitty novelty song." Yeah, it and was get just it to um, one, which was a doctor. It was Doctor Who. It basically. was that one that was in the Joker recently. What's that fucking song? It's um, it's T Rex. Yep. Just with the lyrics take the instrumental version of that with just someone. Yeah, playing Dalek noises over the top. Exactly. Like, if we do that, we can get to number one. We're so ready. they did that, and they did get to number one in the <laughs> UK. Sure um, yes. And then they wrote a book called The Manual, which basically said, if you want to get to number one, you need to quit your job, be unemployed, listen to shitty AM radio all the time, <laughs> write down all the stuff that's popular, then you need to pinch bits of other songs, string them together, change the lyrics a bit, make it a bit gimmicky, yeah, and you're going to have yourself a number one song. Familiar. Now, Isle of Ice actually followed the manual. This is another number <laughs> oh one song. God, really? So these guys legit just followed literally step by step the KLF's manual. And in the German, because they're from Austria, in the yep. German, um, when they published, when the KLF published the manual in German, yep. there was a addendum by, um, I think, Bill Drummond, one of the members of KLF, talking about this song. So there's a part in there about oh, okay. the Isle song. Yeah. So it's 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 acknowledged, commonly acknowledged that yes, they copied the manual to get a number one song, and it succeeded in mm. New Zealand. Now this is fucking one of the worst songs I've heard in my life. <laughs> it's ABBA SOS. Um, yeah. But instead of the so when you hear me, darling, can you hear me, SOS or whatever? When you're near me, hear me, SOS. They've changed the lyrics to "If you really love me, darling, bring me Idlevice." Yeah. which is a, a beer, an Austrian oh, okay. beer. Yeah. I think it's from Austria. It's definitely a beer, so it's an Austrian beer. So it's that um, with just... Um, so the Abbott SOS, they've also mixed in a bit of Last Night a DJ Saved My Life. Okay. Um, there's also a fuckload of yodeling throughout, samples oh, of wood getting sword, okay. combined with fake turntable scratching. <laughs> there's a bad rap part in the middle, of course and there's is. someone singing, and the video sort of doing some weird singing, and um, the, the video is just um, a lot of tight shots on cans, just <laughs> tight shots on beer wenches tits. So that's the whole so, fucking thing. They've really just <laughs> written a list of shit, a bullet point list of stuff Germans like. And Absolutely. Right, this is what we need. So they release okay. this, which is the most blatant, you know, <laughs> rip off slash, I guess, you know, what flattery, you know, the sincerest form of flattery is obviously just when you <laughs> copy something. And uh, yeah, so they've just taken, obviously, the KLF slash... Um, uh, sorry, Time Lords, Doctoring the TARDIS, changed it to a, an ABBA thing and put in this um, Eidelweiss thing. Done with all the same formula. Wacky, exactly. shitty samples. Yep. And people in New Zealand went, yep, give me some of that. And they purchased wow. it enough <laughs> for it to be a number one song in 89. Um, listen to it on YouTube. We'll add this into our... We'll do a playlist, Tom, at the end of this episode, I think, of all sure. the songs we've mentioned. We'll put that on there. Check it out. It's fucking awful. And then they backed that up with um, Starship Eidelweiss which is basically like a fucking Star Trek thing. The same shit, but with like Star Trek instead of this. So, fucking hell, this is so bad. I can't That's believe it. pretty bad. Um, but yeah, I 
hadn't heard it until I was researching. I was uh, I was looking at other songs in New Zealand, and mm. then I because I, I knew that with the manual, I knew that other people had tried to sort of yeah. use the manual well, to emulate KLF this sort of thing. Had they did a few other songs, and they were a bit more sophisticated than that, but they had numerous other number ones after it, so they must have had mm. some inclination of what they were doing. You know? Oh, absolutely, yeah, for sure, for sure. But um, <laughs> this this is complete garbage. If so anyone out there has not seen the video or heard the justified ancients of Moo Moo, I cannot recommend enough that you go and see <laughs> what happens if you keep giving an art rock band number one hit money so they get to increase their budget every yep. video that they make. And Absolutely. you want to see where that ends up, go and see well, it the ends justified up getting... ancients of Moo Moo featuring Tammy Wynette. Yeah. And then it eventually gets set fire to. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> I when you've got nothing else to do. You just set fire for... to it. So, look, I think that's pretty good. Um, did Idlevice burn their million pounds, do you think? I... I don't think they probably made a million pounds. But um, a I million if... Austrian Deutsch... Was it a hit in Austria or anywhere else? Do you well, know? that, that just... was the interesting thing, Tom. I sort of having a look at this, and it was effectively um, number one in Austria, yes, in their home okay. country, and New Zealand. Um, but all, a couple of others, uh, I think Denmark? And Switzerland, yeah. Oh, so okay. a few other. So it sort of hit a f- number one in a few places in <laughs> Europe. With mountains, yeah, like in Europe, song. and then yep. just New Zealand, and uh, didn't chart at all in Australia. So <laughs> okay. um, people here just went, no, nah, that's fucking garbage. So yeah, good stuff. But um, yeah, so check those guys out if you got a free moment. It'll be in the playlist. Enjoy, Tom. What do you got? Okay, we're going over to Italy. Get on the plane. Ooh, we're going to Italy yep. to hear Gimme Five by Giovanotti or Giovanotti, Giovanotti. Yep. Now, this is, I won't beat around the bush, this is complete bollocks. Italian white boy rap. <laughs> this was number one for four weeks in Italy in 1988. Now, 1988 was a while ago, but rap was not a new invention at this point. No. Uh, Run DMC had four albums by this day. Tougher Than Leather came out this year. It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back came out this year. Straight yep. Out of Compton came out this year. By comparison, in lyrical flow terms, I would describe Giovinotti as slightly shitter than Debbie Harry coked out of her mind on Rapture <laughs> in 1981. Uh, yeah, um, lyrics like, yeah, get down, well, you rock and roll, then you roll and rock, then you got to do it, because I don't want to stop. Yes, I'm the DB breaker, the heart taker. Come on, fly guy, let's turn it up, homeboys. Pretty girls, you don't stop. Gonna make you rock. Baby, gonna show you my stuff. It's basically that Sounds for bullshit. a long time. That's good. Uh, live in concert, he's borrowed the Tucker's daughter technique of having a few black guys awkwardly shuffling up the back <laughs> in order to legitimise his rap outfit, which consists of a leather jacket, a backwards baseball cap, and... Confusingly, white tights under what appear to be Western Bulldogs footy socks pulled up to his knees. But yeah, anyway, after a mere four weeks at the top of the Italian charts, he was deposed by Tell Me by Nick Kamen, which was at number one for two months. But the overnight he had tasted the limelight, Ben, and it tasted good. So what do you do next? What do you? What's the solution, do you reckon, if you were Giovanotti at this point? Oh, look, 
you, you do another rap song, don't you? You release <laughs> another one straight away in a similar ilk? Or? Not a bad idea. Yep. Not a bad idea. But that would involve writing another rap song. Yep. So he didn't have time to do that. He'd only had two months to think of new <laughs> lyrics for, hey, you can do it. Ho, you will do it. Hey, you can do it. So instead, what he's done is released Gimme 5 2 bracket Rasta 5 bracket, which is the identical dog shit song. <laughs> the identical lyrics, except now the entire thing is sung in a very Jamaican accent. Did I mention that Giovanotti was white? <laughs> I mean, I may have mentioned it, but just to underline that. Anyway, fortunately, the Italian public are too smart for shit like that. And Giovanotti's Gimme 5 2 bracket, Rasta 5 bracket, was only at the number one spot in the chart for five oh, more weeks. Good. <laughs> so, yes. So, we only managed to get nine weeks of number one stardom out of, uh, yes. Did he do a whole album of just that one song in different I lyrical liked, styles? I hope that he did. I like to imagine that just he did. Just one in sort of an <laughs> Axl Rose style. And some other stuff. So that'd be great. So, look, that, that's... I mean, the only thing that can prove it would be their sample at the start of Axl Rose. <laughs> Give me some reggae! They sound so. equally Caucasian. Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. So it's good to see you can release a bad rap song and then um, double it up with just... Doing yeah, it in Rasta style, it's so. good to see that shitty white rap is not a recent invention by YouTube stars. It, it's been around for <laughs> no, quite it's been some a while time. for quite some time. Um, yeah, you mentioned Rapture, Tom. It is interesting. That that was the first. Uh, was it, that was the first? Was it a number one song or the first? I think it I think was. it was a number, the first song with a rap in it, wasn't it? it the first. It was when rap was so new that white people could do it in a non-rap song without embarrassment. I was going to go rippity rap, rippity rap. My name is Dewey Harry, and I'm here to say. Can to do some rap and then some coke <laughs> sort of thing yeah. she does look totally coked out in that video I did watch it quite recently and it's I was quite just a like, fun oh, song oh, apart from yeah. that just bizarre rap, interlude yeah. don't need the rap yeah, part in no it but, um, but I guess the sugar hill gang <laughs> yeah. but I guess there is that sort of claim to fame as being like oh, I was the first person to rap on a big song yeah, but, then, yes. but then as we'll soon soon discover I think the first number one rap song uh, in the US was um, by Vanilla Ice yeah <laughs> <laughs> not not all not all first are okay. uh, the best. So yeah, um, yeah, what cool, Tom. Well, I'm flying to the USA now. Um, flying <laughs> all the way over there. Um, 1985, Tom. Um, the American public just went, yeah, we fucking love this shit. Number one for one week. Uh, Jean Harmer, Miami Vice theme. Okay. So shows on TV. Oh, I'm trying to remember what that sounds like. Well, it's just it's an instrumental. Um, there's okay. a lot of it's. Uh, the the thing is, there's um. From Miami Vice, I recall the song uh, "You Belong to the City." I don't know if you remember uh, that. Ah, yes. You and of course, the famously, city. the one good song Phil Collins ever wrote, "Coming <laughs> in the Air Tonight," which is a huge part Absolutely. of episode one. But this is just an instrumental yep. theme to the movie, uh, to the to the TV show. Um, it seems kind of weird. So basically, the show I think had been out for like a year at this stage, but that just yep. went. People were just like, I just oh, can't okay. hear this enough. All right, I can't fucking hear this song enough. <laughs> I love the 50 seconds at the start of Miami Vice. I need more of that. And it's just like, well, don't worry, I've got you covered. We'll release it as a single. Every fucking person <laughs> in the US went and bought this. Um, that show was fucking massive. Oh, that's like, we thing. were little kids, but that was yeah. big. So obviously show. a show has to be huge when you can get the, the instrumental 50 second theme song to number one on the ch- I think they extended it out to like two minutes for the I single. Know, I know his look in that film, whichever costume designer 
gave him his look. That basically reinvented American men's fashion, just oh, that one character. Because the rest of the cast don't dress like that. It's just no, Don no. Johnson. And it- For sure. Um, but look, so check this out. Warning, though, I did watch this once on YouTube and now have a cocaine addiction just from <laughs> watching that. So <laughs> if you are flying anywhere, don't watch this immediately before flying because if they dust your eyeballs, you will return a positive test to drugs. So just watch out for that one. But um, song itself, can't fuck can tell you a thing about it forgotten it the oh, second okay. I stopped listening to it but it just seemed weird that someone would just be like let's just buy heaps of this I have heard it I'm assuming yeah, it's, just it's in fun. my memory it's balls to the wall synth from one oh, end to the other yeah, it'd be some axe left type shit yeah it's, well. it's a lot of synth there's not a natural instrument in there the guitar solo I think it's one of those synth guitars there's probably a synth bass on yeah. program drums <laughs> but um, fucking hell yeah um, obviously got the American public pumped up a I lot keep in 95 to, I keep trying to remember and I all I keep thinking of is the Beverly Hills Cop theme which I'm assuming axe it sounds left, yeah. just like oh, it's probably anyway. exactly the same okay. as that. sorry I keep interrupting yeah, no not a problem habit. not a problem um, all right, what have we got? Okay, well, here we've got, uh, back in the UK, uh, yep. this was two weeks in 1983, Kajigugu, Too Shy. <laughs> now, <laughs> does this song suck balls? It's not great, although it is a lot better than anything on Kylie's first three albums, for sure. I thought the, the chorus was, a, was yeah, kind of it's punchy. Yeah, it's not terrible. You could, no. you could see people dancing to this nightclub in 83. Um, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, the reason this is on here is because of the video. <laughs> now, the lead singer of Kajagoogoo is a young man named Lamal, who later went on to have a hit with the never-ending stories mm. little title song, which you might know from. I assumed that he was, uh, you know, some exotic European type, but it turns out that Lamal is a tiny little British man called Christopher Hamill that changed his name to an anagram of his own surname because he thought it sounded more exotic. Now, I think that there is a certain kind of jaded older person, you see them a lot on the internet, or millennial kind of um, internet cynic who like to imagine that hipsters from Brooklyn invented affectation that oughts just to annoy them by dressing like 1920s barbershop employees and falling off their own brakeless bicycles. But to those people, I hereby present the video of Too Shy by Kajagoogoo. Uh, it takes place in an 80s nightclub, which is also somehow a village dance hall welcoming World War II soldiers back from battle which manages to make subsequent bouncy synth-pop songs seem not only awkwardly anachronistic, but vaguely insulting to victims of war crime. It also looks fucking ridiculous without, you know, even having to point that out. And the band haven't even hit the stage yet at this point. Now, I don't have time left in my life to describe what everyone is wearing when they do. But let's just say, Lamal hits the stage in a pair of toothpaste green pleated elasticated nylon maternity pants, a yellow ripped muscle shirt, and with a multicoloured jacket slung casually over one shoulder by one finger. Uh, One of the yellow sleeves that used to be attached to his shirt has been tied around one wrist as a sort of scarf bangle. Uh, His haircut is a shoulder-length spiked blonde Warwick cap and mullet, gently bobbed at the bottom and swept back over the ears, which gives us plenty of room to see that through the magic of new hair technology, the underside of the mullet is dyed brunette, so he's got a two-tone bobbed spiked mullet. Uh, He squats down to pick up the microphone that Nick Kershaw dropped at the end of his last set and reveals the hallmark of the affected hipster cockhead, bare feet on stage. Uh, Now, I mean, we've all seen it before, but much like Tim Minchin 40 years later, this haircut-feet combination means that neither end of the performer is safe to look at, 
And with Lamal topping out at three foot eleven, there's not a lot in between other than a rope belt and a deep, <laughs> deep V of his lemon yellow tank top, which we now unavoidably notice has one shoulder strap knotted under itself for some reason. Okay, now, I mean, granted, there are places in some large cities where this outfit could probably make a comeback right now, at least if you put shoes on. But the point is they invented this here. This was not a copy of anything. You couldn't just walk out in 1983 and ironically buy these clothes at an op shop. They were brand new. <laughs> these, these were hot shit at this time. And now, now, the question I was going to ask you is, which brand new items of the last 10 years, do you reckon, will hipsters be ironically wearing in 2050? You know, it can't be something that, you know, that uh, has been oh, around for ages well I was going to say there's nothing new in the last 50 years Tom because everything's just see, kids these days seem to be like wearing it, the clothes I mean yeah. I look at teenagers these days and they seem to be wearing the same clothes that teenagers were in 1995 that, so. that's, this is the trick of the affected hipster though Ben you've got to pick something that no one else would think of yeah, look, that's the thing Tom in 2050 hipsters are going to be wearing Google Glass um, ah, that's or some one. sort of yes. fucking garbage <laughs> um, like sort of virtual reality shit that's going to come I, out. Like I was someone's thinking going to of those, you know those early iPhone cases where you would go jogging and they would tie, strap your whole giant brick-sized iPhone to your yeah. own arm? <laughs> like with like a, a purple Gore-Tex Velcro sure. band or something? Look See people up. at nightclubs with those in it, you know. Uh, I'm hoping Discman's. I'm hoping you <laughs> see someone with a Discman <laughs> yep. and Google Glass or some sort of whack, um, yeah, like early adoption sort of virtual reality technology from now you know everyone's yeah. like oh it's cool it's like augmented reality in 2050 <laughs> we were like it's fucking stupid probably wearable that. computing definitely is going to yeah. make you come back ironic wearable computing yeah just having an entire keyboard duct taped to your forearm like you know. absolutely and maybe like so, is there a new material there's probably not like some sort of new fabric that yeah. people because you know how people ironically yes. just went in 2002, just went, oh, I remember in the 80s, people had all that sort of like silky sort of like nylon clothes. kind of so. loose polyester that had, it's never really made a comeback. I reckon that's due for a comeback. Like yeah. where everyone was wearing like a Duna-sized parka indoors. Absolutely. Because I feel like at this point in time, if you fast forwarded to 2030 and someone said, can you, oh, look, let's go to a 2020s party or a mm. 1995 party, you could almost like? wear the exact same clothes. Like, and I, <laughs> yeah. I sort of feel like yeah. I do, you know, I, I often question, Tom, what, how did Doc Martin stay in business in those 15 years before, you know, it's sort of, they're super popular yeah. for ages, then no fucker will wear <laughs> them for 10, 15 years, then everyone has a pair of Doc Martins and then the, the cycle yeah. continues. But they somehow managed to stay in business in that sort of 10 year down period where, you never see one single person wearing them. It's strange. And then they, they, they come up again. So I sort of, yeah, I don't know. So I guess it's sort of one of those things where it's just like, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot of difference between certain periods. But yeah, I really hope Google Glass. <laughs> really hope that. Because I've got 50 pairs in the cupboard. I'm hoping they're going to sort of become valid. No, I don't. But yeah, let's hope that. I but um, fuck, a... that's that's a banger. Um, not sorry. No. Uh, right. I was going to say never ending story. Lamal on that, he, he mm. really he hits all the marks on that. He, one, he can so. sing, you yeah. know. Like I'm not saying. And as you say, this is not the worst song in the world. I just picked it because. Oh, the video was... clips fucking weird as hell. But yeah, I he... watched. I've seen some outfits doing research for this show, and yeah, yeah. Like this is supposed to be cool. That's the thing. Like you know, in the video for Jump by Van Halen, they're all wearing ridiculous 
crazy yep. outfits. But th- that was the whole point. They're like hair metal. The whole point was to just be as loud and ridiculous as possible. Oh, for sure. Like, this guy is meant to be hot shit. Like, this yep. is supposed to be cutting edge. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think he tones it down for never-ending story in the clip, but um, he keeps the, the hair's, hair, but the hair's <laughs> exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah. All right, what have you got? Oh, look, Tom, I'm going to... Um, this might be cheating a bit, but I'm going to bundle my last package up oh, into sort of one collection. Oh, please, be my guess. Um, and that's just because um, I'm back in the USA, and one thing I noticed that um, was in the 80s they fucking love the shit out of a power ballad. Oh my um, god, don't they? And these, these, are, these, remember, are songs that weren't number one in Australia. This is outside of Australia. So I'm talking um, Toto Africa, I think it counts as a cool. power ballad. Um, Van Halen Jump, um, White Snake, Here I Go Again, Def Leppard Love Bites, um, and then we've got Bad English When I See You Smile, Heart Alone. Bon Jovi had four. You, you love a bad name. <laughs> Living on a prayer, bad medicine. I'll be there for oh, you. Classic. Um, poison. Every rose has its thorn. <laughs> All number ones in the US in the space of probably like two or three years. So people love the shit out of a power ballad. Um, surprisingly, Winger seventeen didn't hit number one. It only made it to twenty six, probably because of the lyrics. She said, "I'm only seventeen. I'll show you love like you've never seen." She's only 17. Dad said she's too young, but she's old enough for me. Um, so, Well, they're only following on in the grand rock and roll tradition. In fact, I mean, at 17, she would have been far too young for most of the members of the Rolling Stones. So, well, that's yeah. exactly right. Exactly. So, look, I think that um, in, in some states, 17 is probably legal. I don't know how it works in the US, but uh, oh, I mean, people... In the title of numerous songs. Oh, but the Beatles sure. for one. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I think out of all those, Tom, I mean, they're all power sort of yeah rock hard rock ballady type things people love that i think did i mention sweet child o mine no, no i didn't say didn't that was in that's another number one, one yeah. as well so sorry missed that one out so a shitload of those look i think um if i had to choose one of those <laughs> just to, to talk about briefly look poison every rose has its thorn i'm a big poison fan tom as you know cc deville ricky rocket um bobby dahl uh, Brett all Michaels, names, all yeah. those guys. Um, you know, I love Brett Michaels because um, he was obviously on the Rock of Love um, <laughs> several years later trying to find love in all the wrong places, reality TV show, great. But the thing I like about this song, Tom, is Every Rose Has Its Thorn, is that, um, yes, Every Rose does have a thorn. And I sort of, I looked through the, the, the lyrics to see if this was, you know, a metaphor for something, but I couldn't see anything. I think it's just a song about if you're going out getting roses for someone just be aware <laughs> that there will be a thorn on them so you, you're out you're cutting roses for people you go into a shop to buy roses they will have they're, they're very beautiful flowers they're very nice people like roses but they will have a thorn so just be careful so i think the song is just about making yourself aware that you know there are thorns on these flowers so just be careful when picking them i think sure. that's what the song's about from what i can ascertain <laughs> It does actually, uh, it makes a number of quality media appearances too. That is in um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. I believe they are asked at the, I think, is it the gates of heaven? They're asked to provide a philosophical insight that defines <laughs> life on earth and they just both start sort of quietly reciting the lyrics of Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Nice. And it also makes an appearance in The Chappelle Show when (laughs) Chappelle and I think Ryan Adams are out on the streets trying to find a musical style that unites all uh, different nationalities. Yeah. And they're about to get arrested on the street 
and he starts playing. Ryan Adams starts playing Every Rose Has Its Sworn, and the cops start grooving along. And one of the cops is black, and Chappelle, who isn't grooving, looks at the cop and says, You as well? And he's like, Dude, I grew up in the suburbs. <laughs> like, nice. Yeah. If you grew up in the suburbs in the 80s, you heard a lot of power ballads, is the point. Oh, a lot of power ballads. And look, this they is what. Have they died out? Oh, I think they have, Tom, and it's sad. I mean, I look at this and, you know, I just read out, what, probably 10-ish? and that's yeah. So in the space of like two, three years in the US, there were 10 very late 80s, um, as we talked about they previously. They into the 90s. They did. And then they sort of yep. died out, sort of. Because there was that crossover period where sort of um, late 80s, early 90s, the power ballad work was coming through, crossed over with a bit of... The, the the grunge yep. I'm saying Tom the the alt rock I guess and then quickly I think once yeah. never mind and and those that sort of albums came out it. then it just sort of killed all these bands ballads off, kept going but they not did. power power ballads, ballads yeah. yeah so you know look I'm hoping that we get a few more power ballads <laughs> um but I think it's sort of that was right. replaced by I think by the 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 early to mid two thousands you get that sort of um, Aerosmith um, theme from Armageddon Don't Want to Miss a Thing yeah. that's kind of power ballad it is power ballad as we talked about before that was written by an 80s balladier lady <laughs> yes exactly. so that's kind of almost a throwback to yeah. that era and I think yeah. once you get into um, we're going to talk about this a lot I think uh Post grunge, quote unquote, yeah. <laughs> um, where you get like lips of an angel and shit. Like uh, that. So yeah, no. Once you that's get into kind the, of like it's the Nickelback era, it yeah. comes back. It's yeah. power ballad, but it's not like dudes aren't wearing spandex. Um, dudes aren't sort of. Hmm. You know, they brought the rampant misogyny back though. They did, Good thing they did. we didn't lose that in the fucking 80s, but sure. Absolutely. So look, um, so I just wanted to group all those together. A lot of great songs. I'm a big Poison fan off that album as well. Um, you've also got Nothing But A Good Time, oh, yes, How Can do. I Resist, <laughs> um, which is a great song. Uh, um, does that have unskinny bop on it? It doesn't. That's off the next album, Tom. Um, oh, but I, okay. I was going to mention that as well, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, so this one's got um, Fallen Angel. Win big. Mama's Fallen Angel. <laughs> a lot of hits. Um, and Your Mama Don't Dance, another cover of a shitty old song. But yeah, the next album they went with Unskinny Bop, which um, lyrically makes no fucking sense, and I appreciate that. I assume it's some disgusting sexual metaphor, but if it is, it must be buried unusually deep for a glam metal song, because I still can't tell what the fuck he's talking Unskinny about. Unskinny Bop? No, I've, I don't got know. Me. Look, look, seriously, we'll get Brett Michaels on the show, we'll ask him what it's all about in coming weeks, obviously, that'd be great. Um, so yeah, look, love all of that. That's So oh, three from New stuff. Zealand, um, two from America if I had to just do a bonus track real quick Tom from sure. the US um, Steve Winwood Higher Love oh that's a that's a bit of I think it's a power ballad yeah. it's a banger though Steve Winwood um, good to see a 38 year old dude be allowed to release a pop banger because I feel like these days it's like once yeah. you're over 25 you're just on the scrap heap no it's but not a power was, ballad it's, yeah. it's, it's, just, it's just a pop rocky sort of classic it's in a film sorry yep it's in a big. It was in a big movie, but I can't remember which one it was. Oh, look! It's a great song. And I think that that's that's what totally fine. Eighty six. Yeah, eighty six. So look, um, yeah. If you only do one thing after listening to this, go jump on, listen to uh, Steve Winwood, High Love. It's Actually, they will put that on the theme. Yeah. Uh, sorry, on the on the sort of uh, the playlist. That'll be good. But yeah, um, Tom, you got one that's more for me. Was that number one? Did you say in the USA? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yep. All right. Sure. God. 
Uh, what have I got? Okay. We're back to Italy again. Ooh. Um, although this was also number three in the UK, number one in France, number six in South Africa, five in Austria, two in Belgium, um, three in Spain, etc., etc. Uh, this is Sabrina, boys, bracket, Ooh. summertime of Fucking 1987. Nice. Yep. Now, this song is complete and utter bollocks. It's got about eight words, and three of them are boys, boys, boys. Um, in the grand tradition of pop music, it took four dudes to write that somehow for the lady who actually sings it. But I think what this song demonstrates, Ben, is that by 1987, pop was incontrovertibly a video format as much oh, as a music one. Yeah. MTV had been around for six years. I think VH1 started in 85. Um, sure, you could totally still have a good hit hit with a good song if you look like Fergal Sharky. No doubt. But you could also <laughs> have a hit song with a complete pile of shit like this, provided that you were wearing a wet boob tube three sizes too small in the video, yep. because that is literally all this is going for it. Um, at the time, we considered that exploitative bollocks, but maybe it is now empowering. I'm genuinely not sure. Maybe it depends on what percentage of the money Sabrina was getting, as opposed to the four dudes it took to write, <laughs> boys, boys, boys. Now, if you think I'm being just gross and sexist, I probably am, but watch the video seriously. I mean, it's possible that Sabrina was very talented at... I don't know, concert violin or <laughs> dancing or improv comedy, but you would not get that from this video. It's just not there, and I checked very carefully. Like, I mean, I had to watch it at least twice just to make sure that I wasn't missing a talent that she possibly had. But, um, yeah. Look, Tom, that's a fair assessment. Um, what I like most about this video is that... Um, what, how long is the song, you reckon? Three and a half minutes of the yeah, territory? Yeah, about standard um, musically. And I'd say that two minutes of that in the video is just Sabrina pulling up the boob tube trying in because vain the to... nipple is out <laughs> in several shots and they just didn't bother yes. editing that out they weren't no. like we can see your entire nipple is out of that boob tube let's do a second take no they just went let's just fucking keep that in I mean it's it's yeah yes it's, for the 80s it's like yeah pretty hell. racy like yeah it's, yep. it's pervy it's also it becomes distracting to the point where you start to feel you watch, you start watching, like, at first you're like, you know, like, if you're a bloke anyway, you're like, wow, that's great. But, like, after a while, it genuinely becomes distracting because you can see her trying to sort of mime and sort of vaguely dance by splashing around in a pool, but you can see her hands, like, involuntarily, continually trying to return to her top, to yep. pull her top up. So you just, it's, it's like watching someone trying not to scratch an itch, like, it yeah. just becomes weirdly, you, you lose track of even the boobs and just end up watching someone just like yeah i mean she doesn't look uncomfortable but she certainly looks kind the of boob tube's not holding tom it is not famously it is slipping down when they showed that in the uk they uh did the widescreen effect by putting black bars at the top and bottom of the screen which cuts off her boobs most of the <laughs> time okay. because it was yeah apparently they asked her about it and she said that their, their claim was that um it was. She said she didn't know that was going to be the actual video, and it was filmed for like an Italian TV show. And as you know, Italian TV is pretty racy 
even back then, it's ridiculous now. And they just know. edited that together for the video. And yes. Like, didn't even know. And then she was like, oh, well, I didn't know they were going to use it for overseas videos. <laughs> but anyway, yep. it served to make her briefly. Oh, look, um, that's good. She. One other thing I'd like to point out is that uh, in the video clip, she does drink a cocktail in the pool that has no fewer than 44 straws in it. It's just <laughs> fucking straw it's central. Just, they hand it to her and it's just like, it's all fucking straws. I'm just it's like... It's got like a fruit she, salad balanced on top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's blue. So obviously there's that blue Kirikeo in it that we were talking about before the other week, Tom. So it's this bright blue cocktail, 44 straws, a shitload of fruit in there. She can't fucking drink that. They've given that to her because she can see how awkward it is. Tr- knowing that she won't be able to hold that and pull her top up at the same time because her hands are full. So it's like, we can get some full tit action on this because the boob tube's going to slip down. She's holding on to that cocktail. And it worked, I think, because I think we did get, we got more tit in there than I think anyone expected, including Sabrina. Um, it was but pretty it's a, racy at the time. It wasn't quite up there with uh, famously Girls on Film, I think. Was fuck, the, no, that was the yeah. raciest video of the 80s by that, far. That had a lot of tits in the it. The uncensored yeah. version just has actual topless women in it. It does, absolutely. But you look Duran Duran, um, you know. By their standards, like this was pretty racy at the time. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, look, I think that's sort of five, my yeah. top five from, yeah. uh, I mean, from overseas. Look, there's, there's, there's plenty, plenty of. More. <laughs> there's a lot more yeah sorry you're the same no no you're right you know you, there's plenty of nonsense I'm sure you managed to turn up but like that th- if you look at the problem is like well, what we've been looking at if you look at the top of the charts there's not much that's truly appalling no there's a lot of stuff that's embarrassing and a lot of stuff that's annoying yep. but you know you have to get into the B-sides of the albums before you start hitting the real dog shit I think oh look yeah. I think Idle Vice Sprimmy Idle Vice was, was total <laughs> okay, dog shit sure. so, oh no we'll uh, talk about that but look later, it's, but, it's yeah. the exception to the rule Tom that makes the rule I think so that's it so, did but, you yeah. want to talk about our worst song overall or do you want to go positive for a bit and talk about some good stuff Oh, look, how about, just real quick, Tom, um, no, I can, no, I can have you. a look at the film, I'll just have a look at the yeah, film yeah, section yeah, real yeah, quick, no, and then we can, we can talk about... Songs. I had a couple of things to talk about first. Um, but yeah, definitely. So look, what, what I'm looking at, Tom, is as I mentioned to you, I sort of thought I might, you know, because um, obviously we've talked about the other hits from overseas, and I thought, yep. oh, what about film songs? Because we talked about that a lot during the whole thing. We so did. I just thought, I'll, I'll have a look at my top three. Um, and I ended up sort of just compiling a list that's way too fucking long, but um, just read a few out. So, yeah, um, sure. um, Peter Satara, Glory of Love from Karate oh, Kid 2. Yes, that's classic. Um, <laughs> that's a fucking power ballad. Right absolutely. Uh, John Parson, Elmo's Fire, Man in Motion. Oh, yeah, that's pretty catchy too. Absolutely. Um, I was reading a bit about this one. Apparently, um, someone said, Can you write a song? I don't even know a lot about John Parson. They said, Look, can you write the theme song to St. Elmo's Fire? And he's like, yeah, bro, you bet I can. And then he had a bit of writer's block, <laughs> opened up the newspaper and read an article about, um, I think, someone in the Paralympics that was going to do a tour around America in a wheelchair and it was called the Man in Motion Tour. And he oh, went, okay. Man in Motion sounds <laughs> good, so just use that for the song. <laughs> um, you talked about Lamar, Never Ending Story, obviously. Um, Phil Oakey and Giorgio Madeira, Together in Electric Dreams. Ah, uh, yes. The classic song from the classic film about someone. We talked about <laughs> this. They spill some wine yes. on their computer and then it starts hitting but on their girlfriend. But it's actually quite a good song. As he's, in, like, like St. Elmo's Fire, I would probably say the song's probably lasted better than the film. <laughs> oh, well, that's, I think most of these songs you find have lasted <laughs> yes. a lot better than the film. Um, one of my favourites, Tom, Oingo Boingo, Weird Science. Oh, that's a good from one. From Weird Science. Oingo Boingo. I love... um. 
Dead Man's Party by yep. Oingo Boingo. That's fucking great too. Um, and for those of you that don't know Oingo Boingo, so Weird Science is obviously the theme from Weird Science, which is a film about two guys <laughs> that design their ultimate girl on a computer and then there's some sort of electrical storm or some yes. shit and then the it hits the computer and the woman comes alive and the woman's played by Kelly, Kelly LeBrock, LeBrock. Yes. Um, Mrs. It, Steven Seagal as we know who and then will it's, pop up later as well uh, it's a crazy <laughs> film and um, will they remake that in 2021 Tom? it's a shame that they won't because like like um, if you're a bit of a perv like me it's like I Dream of Genie it's one of those ideas that is I mean, it's a, they're both pervy ideas and they're prevented, presented pervily in their own respective uh, mediums. Yep. But they are so ridiculously... Like, the idea before, behind them is so <laughs> disgusting that if you were to actually make a sort of realistic kind of modern, like a super bad slash book smart update, it would just be pornography. Yeah, There's no be, way yeah. you could ever do it. So it would have to be some clunky Rebel Wilson style... Would be gender swap thing just to kind of yeah to you know and it's Chris Hemsworth and the you know wackiness ensues and stuff and like that they make him mow the lawn with no top on or something <laughs> it's like ha ha yes. look at that guy I mean this, even in that film it is kind of unclear as to what how much actually happens between this oh they keep it very I mean John Hughes wasn't it I think mm, so it's sort mm. of it has to be a bit family-ish it's very it's PG of, yeah, yeah absolutely um, so a lot it's of people quite funny yeah so if you don't know Oingo Boingo <laughs> um, if you don't know the name um, mm-hmm. you might be like what the fuck is that yeah it's the stupidest band name ever but um the lead vocalist and songwriter in mm-hmm. Oigo Boingo is uh, Danny Elfman, who most people will know, obviously, has gone on to compose, I think, over Famous 100 film scores, yeah. feature film scores, which is a lot, including, um, I've just listed some of his best, Tom, um, Fifty Shades of Grey, um, <laughs> Pee Wee's Big Top and Flubber. So all the big films mm. of today, done a lot of big hits there, so Truly good on him. he's the Morricone of the next generation. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Dead Prin- Man's Party, good song, right? Prince... Oh, great song, yep. Um, Prince, uh, Bat Dance, <laughs> Crush Groovin' by the Crush Groove All-Stars from the film Crush Groove. Oh, sure. A lot of great songs. Berlin, Take My Breath Away. Yep, I think we know. covered that. We did. I think that was actually number one here. Glenn Frey, The Heat Is On. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Oh, Stan Bush, The yeah. Touch from Transformers <laughs> film. You've got the touch, you've got the power. Fuck yeah. Um, Bangles, Hazy Shade of Winter. Um... From Less Than Zero, which is a good one. Madonna, Into the Groove, we've talked about this before, from Desperately Seeking Susan. DeBarge, everyone loves DeBarge, um, the rhythm of the night from The Last Dragon. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you anything about the film, but I know the rhythm of the night. Um, Denise Williams, Let's Hear It for the Boy from Footloose. Um, Tina Turner, We Did Another Hero, we've talked about that for Mad Max 3. Phil Collins, Against All Odds, I think we talked about that. Sure. Now, Madonna, Crazy For You, we talked about... That yeah, um, that was, was from that was from a film called Vision Quest, which no one fucking knows. But the thing, interestingly, the film was so shit. But Madonna was in it singing this song, mm-hmm. and for some people, it's the only part of the film that they can remember. So when that was film, called Vision Quest in the US, but when they released that film in Australia, they just went fuck it. Let's just call it Crazy for You because people know the song. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, they sure. did that. No, it makes sense. Um, Eric Carmen, Hungry Eyes, of course, it's a hit. Um, Cindy Lauper. The Goonies are good enough. We talked about that. <laughs> Prince, When Doves Cry and Purple Rain from Purple Rain. Um, Maniac, Flashdance. Um, yeah, we talked up, up, up Where We Belong, Cocker and Warren. We talked about that. Um, She's Like the Wind Dirty Dancing. We talked about that. Danger Zone, Kenny Loggins. Probably talked about that. 
um, Survivor Eye of the Tiger, Yellow, Oh Yeah. There's oh, fucking yeah. heaps of these. Yeah. But Kokomo, don't need to talk about that. Axel F, you talked about that before. Yeah. Um, Billy Ocean, Going Gets Tough from the Jewel of the Nile. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. Starship, nothing's going to stop us now from Mannequin. Mannequin. <laughs> I think a mannequin yeah. comes alive in a department store. I think, is that like, that might be Johnny Depp? Is it, or is it I don't know. Michelle Pfeiffer? It's I, think Mich- I think Michelle Pfeiffer's work. in that, yeah. There's a male version. There's a male, there was a male version as well with a male mannequin that comes to life. And I think it's ah. just one of those things where people have the same idea at the same time. Or okay. Yeah, and then the next few ones we've talked about, um, Kenny Loggins, Footloose, Huey Lewis mm-hmm. and the News, Power of Love, Ray Park Jr., Ghostbusters, um, Banana Rama, Cruel Summer from the original Karate Kid. Do you remember oh, that one? No, I don't. That's a hit. Um, Pointer Sisters, Neutron Dance from Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, yeah, that's a, bit that's a good classic. one. And then a couple of my favourites, um, Paul Engerman, Push It to the Limit from Scarface. Push okay. it to the limits, limits. Yeah. Um, that's a big one. Um, no, that's a different. I'm Robert Tepper, sorry. No Easy Way Out from Rocky Four. I'm thinking of Take It to the Limit. Sorry. Um, no easy. And okay. uh, Real Life Australian artist who did Semi and Angel from the film Rad. <laughs> now Semi and Angel is dead set one of the five best songs of the eighties. Um, if you disagree so with me, then I don't know what you're talking about. That red it's soundtrack's synth- got a lot to give. It's got a lot to give. This is a synth pop classic. You know it's good because Real Life released it in '83, and then they went, "Let's release it again in '89," and then let's release another <laughs> remix in '89 too. I think so. They've released it about eight times, and you know that a song is good when a band just keeps on releasing it. You know sure. that they're just like going, "Let's just keep releasing the same song rather than writing new material." So that's pretty good. Like all those songs, but yeah, definitely. Definitely check out Real Life Semi and Angel. That's the best for me on this list. Um, but uh, for me, Tom, I think if I had to say best song from the worst film mm-hmm. would be Prince Kiss. And that's from the film Under the Cherry Moon. Oh, God. Yeah, that was that his... That film's fucking awful. Um, <laughs> oh that's God. a pretty good that was film. his follow-up to Purple Rain. It was, yeah. And yeah, it's, it, was, it was a classic blank check where they... After that, he had leeway to do what he liked, and he just proposed this ridiculously terrible idea that they indulged. And I think the soundtrack didn't even have his name on it. Like, Possibly, yeah. Yeah, it was some weird. Th- yeah, it, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so that's pretty. But I mean, but the soundtrack, of course, is good because it's fucking Prince. But you know, whatever. absolutely. So that's that's um. Sorry, Tom, that went for no, way too long because okay. there's so many fucking just, films. Songs. I had a couple of honourable mentions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just of movie songs. I did. Lo- I do love Ghostbusters for Ray Parker Jr. Yep. Yeah, written in two days. As I said, estimated to have twenty million dollars to film. Still, it contains still a good jam. Contains the line "Bust makes me feel good." Yeah, it does. Um, the video is this giant, big budget thing full of people who owed Ivan Reitman a favor. It Half features. of these people aren't in the film. Most of them no, aren't. No, exactly. Aren't. It's yep. got Chevy Chase, Irene Cara, John Candy, Melissa Gilbert, Ollie E. Brown, Jeffrey Tambor, George Went, Al Frank, and Danny DeVito, Carly Simon, Peter Falk, and Terry Gar. And they closed down fucking Times Square to film the main <laughs> character, main dudes dancing at the end, yeah. which is pretty sick for a song about a film about three goof-offs occasionally shooting ghost puppets with lasers. But um, yeah. And as you said, it's also a good reminder that when you settle out of court in a music borrowing dispute and sign an NDI, don't then bring it up in interviews unless you want to look like a total knob. No, because it was brought up and uh, people didn't like that. Yes. So, yeah. Do we need to explain that again? We Maybe we shouldn't waste no, the time. It's fine. People there were multiple lawsuits involved. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm a big fan of Cry Little Sister, theme from Lost Boys by Gerard McMahon. It's not exactly good, but it's a really fun sort of pop goth melodramatic nonsense with a rad chorus that uses a children's choir. Yeah. They got to 15 in the US and then a remix in 2003 got onto the Arias okay. uh, in 2003. Uh, despite appearing on the soundtrack to The Lost Boys, the song's lyrics do not specifically reference vampires as it was composed before McMahon had seen any footage from the film. Nice. After hearing the track, director Joel Schumacher commented, you nailed my themes onto The Lost Boys. I can't believe you wrote this without seeing a frame of the film. And apparently he said the same thing to Seal after he first heard Kiss from a Rose, the theme song to Batman Forever. Yeah, he just pulls it out of his arm. Good. <laughs> yes. Nice um, yeah, and I'll give an honourable mention for, this is really bizarre, but Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise, features a cover of Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bettini by Devo. Nice. Which is just really fun. It's this weird new wave sort of cover and also the original is fucking terrible so this follows Ben's rule of covers in that the cover is always better covers than always original. better than the original in this case it 100% is yeah. Uh, yeah it's I would listen to that again it was a good time yeah look I stand by that and um, Revenge of the Nerds to uh, Nerds in Paradise probably one of the best <laughs> films of the 80s as well so it's good that we got to reference that so absolutely sure um, okay what else have we got then oh look Tom um did you have a? Did you want to do a few awards um, yeah, or sure. forgotten classics? Either, either or. So um, I had, uh, I don't know, best novelty song slash one hit wonder. Yep. Uh, uh, weirdest, <laughs> weirdest eighties shit. Uh, most iconically eighties music video. Like, yep. I'm look, just throwing things out. No, there. perfect. Look, I've I've got a few things as well. Sure, so why don't, no. we, why don't we just run? We can go back and forth sure. if you want. So look, I was just gonna. I think I'll start with probably the award for. Um, you were unfortunately caught out, but this wasn't the first fucking time this has happened. It won't be the last, and that goes to Millie Vanilli. Feel for those guys. Was I'm that giving in those. The 80s? Yeah, it was. Yeah, oh, late eighties, eighty nine. Okay, in my mind, eighty nine. Yeah, yeah, so so these songs came out in the eighties, and then I think the Grammy Award was like January nineteen ninety. Okay, well now you're going to have to briefly explain it in case people don't actually know them. Yeah, so look, um, just real briefly, Millie Vanilli were a German duo who were recruited by um, I think one of the guys from like Boney M or something like that. Like it's a oh, weird. Okay, sort of... he was the mastermind. Yeah. So basically, so um, two like German African dudes. They were so yep. So um, yep. So some guys from I think one was German, one was maybe French, but they met anyway. Um, they'd released an album um, by themselves that mm-hmm. sold like a thousand copies or two, like not a lot, and they were sort of like not doing too well. But um, look, they were they were good looking guys, and they were found by um, I think it was a guy from Boney M or someone along those lines and said, look, um, here's a demo song we've got. Do you guys want to get involved with this? Mm-hmm. Millie Vanilli agreed. They went in, they recorded their vocals in the studio, and I think the the producer said, oh, look, these aren't up to scratch. Let's just get someone else in to, to do the vocals. Yes. So they got someone else to record the vocals. They said, look, guys, just go out. We'll play um, the song, the backing track. Um, we'll play the vocals as well. You guys just mime, dance around, whatever. So they went and did that for that one song. Yeah. Um, which they thought, yeah, this would be okay. I think it was like Girl, I Know It's True or one of their mm-hmm. one of their songs. So they did that. Um, it became 
a number one hit mm. across the world, um, not just in America. There were they, like three big yeah, hits. Well, they, had, they had five singles in the top five in the US. There you go. Um, three of them were number one, yeah. Um, Blame It On The Rain, I think. Yep. Girl, I Know It's True and Mate, Baby, Girl, Don't I'm Forget My Number. You, yeah, Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You. So heaps of songs. So eventually they went and said, oh, look, can we, we're going to record some songs. Look, look, just don't worry about it. It'll be fine. So they ended up in this sort of weird cycle <laughs> of where they kind of didn't want to really do it, but yeah. they were on the train. They started doing it. They were miming, all this sort of shit. And then um, they, I think if you sold a few thousand copies, a hundred thousand, just touring around Europe, you might be okay. But when they started selling millions of copies worldwide yeah. and they were winning awards, um, I think the guy that actually did the vocals <laughs> was like, look, I want more money because you know yeah. you paid me like, two thousand dollars to sing these songs and now <laughs> i want more because you're making millions so anyway mm-hmm. long story short it was revealed that millie vanilli didn't sing their songs yes. um they won a grammy they had to hand that grammy back there was a massive court case where everyone that i think in the u.s and europe people that had purchased the cd <laughs> or gone to a concert there was a class action lawsuit saying that they were like misled and deceived oh so they had to basically it seems like pay a all these mo- yeah so yeah. a lot of a lot of money got paid back to people and that was effectively the end of millie vanilli's career they tried to do a real millie that sorry yeah. the people that did the actual singing tried to do a real millie vanilli album <laughs> the next year the the act the guys that were the face of millie vanilli but didn't sing then a few years later tried to release an album on their own with themselves singing. It was a bit, it was just a complete uh, fuck up. It's nuts, <laughs> really, because the singing wasn't particularly good anyway. No, no, it wasn't great. They're kind of goofy-looking dorks. They look like there's a lot of... The videos feature a lot of shitty acting. Oh, and the terrible. shitty acting matches the not-especially-inspired singing. No. Which leads you to obviously know that for them to have hit number, five, number one five times... It was the songwriting that was really good. Yeah. So if that guy had just found two half-decent singers to sing yeah. his not-particularly-good lyrics, he could have had five number-one hits just on his own, kept all the money, given oh, exactly. a bit of it legitimately to the singers, and then fucking made a packet, you know? like Or uh, just let them sing, and surely even in 89 there was enough studio trickery to make it sound you'd fine. You'd think so, yeah, so. you're right. Nowadays it would all just be vocal. Yep. It'd just be, yeah. So look, give those guys that award because they were caught out for not singing their own songs and had to hand back the Grammy, but I guarantee you that has absolutely happened in the past and I'm sure subsequent to that it has happened it's just unfortunate that the level of success led to that so yeah so Millie Vanilli Award good on them one of them's dead now (laughs) can't remember whether it's Millie or Vanilli but one of them but anyway good times um alright my award for uh, weirdest uh, (laughs) weirdest (laughs) 80s shit I'm gonna give to the Bat Dance video now you mentioned Bat Dance before Uh, the song itself is fucking mental. Like supposedly, <laughs> this is all this is all true. Supposedly, Prince was chosen for the soundtrack because he and the Joker are both really into purple. So they were like, "Hmm, well, there's a connection. Have you got Prince's phone number?" I mean, I like the color yellow, but I was not contacted about the soundtrack for the Emoji movie, despite many letters that I wrote. But um, yeah, anyway, the song is literally parts of seven other songs that he'd already done that he sort of mashed together and then it has kind of random vocal samples from the movie uh, from various actors in the film. The first words in the song are, ooh, I've got a live one here, get the fuck up, 
Batman from the old TV show theme. Batman, get the fuck up. Batman, get the fuck up. Go with a smile. Bat dance, keep busting. And half of the song is just a TikTok synth beat and random samples. Then there's a two-minute distorted guitar solo, which sounds like it comes from different songs. Then it turns into a weird funk sex jam with Prince saying that he wants to funk that body in between Batman and the Joker dropping lines from a movie that hadn't come out yet. And there's still three more minutes to go because this is like six and a half minutes long. At one point, Prince is just, at one point Prince is just talking and he says, Hey, Ducky, let me stick this seven inch in the computer for no reason that I could ever ascertain. <laughs> and the video makes the song seem very sensible. It's Prince plays multiple characters, including a guy he just invented called Gemini, who is literally dressed as half the Joker on one side and half Batman on the other side, complete with half a cape on one side. At any point, there are a dozen people dressed like that, including Prince, dancing around in purple smoke, thriller style, while Prince, who is also in the video playing himself, playing the song, busts out a guitar solo. So you've got half a dozen Batman, some of whom are black, half a dozen Jokers, ditto, six half Joker, half Batman, and six identical Vicky Vales, which are the highlight, just writhing around arse-deep in grimace-coloured smoke, around a realistic-looking electric chair that isn't in the movie, and later explodes for no obvious reason. Look, all I'm saying is, if this video was produced today, there would be some intellectual property issues, I think. I think lawyers would probably be involved Look, if you were to yeah. do this today. <laughs> Look, I did watch this, Tom, um, and it is completely fucking batshit. Um, I As suitably batshit. no idea what the fuck was going on for any of this. And look, I think as you said, after Purple Rain... Prince was given a blank check and it feels like that some of those proceeds spilled into this because it was just like, what, sorry, what do you want to do? None of that's in the film. Don't what it, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's also, the film, I mean, it's a bit more comic booky than the dour Christopher Nolan yeah. ones, but it was a pretty serious, dark, grim film. There's like, nothing, there's nothing yeah. vaguely Prince about it. It doesn't even have, like, it, this Prince would have suited the Joel Schumacher trashy, you know, the, oh, the bat yeah. nipples era Technicolor Batman way better than this. Like, it, yeah. And this is even out of character for Prince himself. I yes, again, he's not... The 80s was kind of... part of his thing. Like, right. it's, yeah. In terms of his, his music as well, like, I, I sort of sort of see the yeah. 80s era of Prince and obviously that, and then in the 90s he had his own thing going yeah. on, new pet, like Cream, etc. But this just seems completely like, it, what it seems the like fuck a, is going a on? a weird off-cut from a Public Enemy album that yep. they couldn't make work But he did a whole like album. For yes, this. yeah, this that's right. That's the other thing. This is not a single that was off the album. This was one song off an entire album of shit that he did for the fucking Batman. Yeah, that character he plays, the half-Batman, it's just like Jim. completely batshit. It's like, what the fuck is this solo? But look, um, honestly... I wish Prince was still alive because I would like him to just write a Batman film because I mean, just to see what would happen. Absolutely. Like, if, say, tomorrow uh, you got a call from yep. um, fucking, uh, you know, Joel Schumacher, let's say, and he said, sure, I'm yeah. directing the new He-Man live-action film. We want Art of Seduction to do the soundtrack. Yep. And you said, okay, well, I'm going to do the video. And in the video, I'm going to play a character who is 50% He-Man on one side and 50% Skeletor on the yep. other side. I'm going to be writhing around with multiple uh, naked yep. <laughs> um, Ram Man and Fisto are going yep. to appear in the video. 
And then at the end, an electric chair is going to explode. Uh, what do he, you reckon? If he said, I'm not interested, I said, I'm out. So, <laughs> I've got, you know, it's, it, I have to. And instead he said, yes, no, I am interested. And it's going to be a massive international hit song. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Prince, it, just he could just do no wrong at this time. He could, he? for sure. Um, but no matter how fucking batshit this is, um, it's significantly better than almost all the Batman films that came out in the <laughs> 90s, where it was just sort of like... Arnold Schwarzenegger is Mr. Freeze and that sort of bullshit. It's just like, just take me back to the Prince days. That's true. That's Prince true. made no sense, but at least it was entertaining. This is just mm. fucking awful. So, um, look, yeah, that's one of my favorites as <laughs> well from this. It's fantastic. Um, look, I think, yeah. You've got a category? I've got, I've got a couple, Tom. Um, I think um, my sort of. Category here, it's another sort of, it's, it's film-based, but not quite the same. It's um arty music video that ends up coming across as a rape fantasy. Um, I'm giving okay. that to Laura Branigan's self-control. Now, <laughs> this and sort of Carly Simon, you know what to do as the runner-up. These are sort of, these video <laughs> clips are so fucking bizarre, both of them. Um, <laughs> Laura Branigan's self controls uh, directed by um, William Friedkin, who oh, um, the Academy, Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. Exorcist and Academy Award winner for The French Connection. So perhaps that explains a bit. Going for a sort of arty sort of bend, but what this video it's it's Laura Branigan who we've talked about before from Gloria fame. Oh, um, so yes. she's sort of she's hanging out. She's at a lot of nightclubs, dancing around. Hey, there's a dude with a mask in a fucking, mm. like, uh, trench coat, following around. It's a bit, it's like, oh, shit, a bit creepy. She's, like, freaked out a bit by it. But then she starts sort of following the guy. It all, <laughs> the film where ultimately... She's pretty horny. Yeah, <laughs> the video clip ends up with her in a room with all of these sort of act... Like, she's getting felt up by, like, about 20 dudes all at once. And she's, like, going, oh, yeah. what's going on? And then the masked guy that she's terrified of comes up to her, he's got his shirt off all of a sudden, she's like going, ah. and then he just sort of like bones her, I think, and then he just disappears into the night. So yes. It's sort of like a really weird sort of, I'm, you know, <laughs> appalled by this stalker, yet I'm totally feeling it as well at the same time. Real weird. Um, it's got a real last film by Stanley Kubrick vibe to it. It a lot. does, yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's pretty weird. But um, the thing about it is, though, that I think um, I read that MTV at the time refused to play it. They were just like, this is too out there. It's, this is too extreme. It's pervy. Like the video, the video you, you haven't mentioned the opening shots, which is her sort of lying suggestively back on a chair with her hand between her legs looking oh, yeah. very sort of... Like she's already imagining a guy with a mask on who's going to do stuff to it later. It's a <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's a lot of weirdness going on with this one. Um, but look, I think it's just art. If you've won an Academy <laughs> Award, you can do whatever you want. So, That's true. I can't argue um, with that. Laura Branigan, just sort of look like you're fingering yourself and then um, you're going to pretend that that dude with the mask Owned by the Phantom to, yeah, of the Opera exactly for yeah. sure do it oh yeah cool it's up but um, Carly Simon as well you know what to do that one Carly Simon she's on a diving board at her house okay. there's a dude looking through like a fence and she jumps into the pool she gets out she's all wet dude's like perving on her through the fence um, she goes upstairs gets changed he's like looking through the window she goes out for a walk he follows her. Then she starts running away from this guy who's chasing her. She's like, ah, ah. And then he finally catches up with her. They just start making out. So it sort of makes complete sense. 
uh, I don't really know. If someone's chasing, if a stalker's chasing you and they catch up with you, do you I don't know. It's it, both of those videos. Um, pretty weird. Don't really know. But it look, was all on the table in the eighties. It was it? all on the you know. table as well. But look, get it. Get an Academy Award director. You can do what you want. So um, yeah, that was some certainly not as crazy as Prince um, Bat Dance, but I'm um, still out there. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I watched the first one of those. That was fucking weird. I haven't seen the other one. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> oh, it's just basically it very making out with your stalker. So, yeah, effectively. Uh, I was going to do... Because we did a lot of novelty songs slash one-hit wonders, I was going to do my personal favourite from the yep. 80s, which is Start a Rap by Morris Minor mm. and the Majors. Uh, Runner-up, Shoot, Shoot, Giddy Wop, Come, Come, Wayne Gang, of course, by Monty Video and the Cassettes. Yep. But, um, yeah, look, I can still... I remember all the lyrics to this song, even though I listened to it when I was like 10. Uh, we all used to sing it to each other among our friends. And judging by the YouTube comments for the video, a lot of other people also did that. <laughs> uh, it was three British comedians, apparently, who did it. I uh, can't remember all of their names, but yeah, they weren't anyone that I had personally heard of, but that's who did it. Um, like, look, the Chaka Khan joke is still pretty funny, you know. <laughs> Crowd got angry in this one, man. He's going to throw a bottle. He was going to chuck a can, chuck a can, chucka, chucka, which is the line from a then popular Chaka Khan. <laughs> um, that's still pretty funny. And I found out that, you know, that rocker guy who, who comes in, the guitarist with the blue hair who does a weird guitar yeah. solo in the middle. Guess who that is? <laughs> oh, I hope it's someone from Duran Duran No, that is John Deacon, the bassist from Queen oh, The nice. guy who wrote the bass line for Another One Bites oh, that's Dust, good. Who apparently wasn't doing much that weekend <laughs> Because he, he ends up in bed with them in the video um, <laughs> Now, the other weird thing about this is that Like, additionally, the title and the style of the song Is obviously a reference to the Beastie Boys For No Sleep Till Brooklyn Which yep. would have been a recent hit What's more interesting to me is that the Beastie Boys song is actually a sort of piss take of hair metal, which was massive at the time, and they'd already gotten into trouble for rapping over a sample of Back in Black on Rock Hard. So instead, they got Slayer's Kerry King to play Angus Young's riff from ACDC's TNT in a different tuning, That's what, and then they're rapping over that in the song uh, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Yep. And the title was from Motorhead, obviously, and the entire video, which was directed by the same guy who did the Fight for Your Rights party video where they trashed the parents' house, is just taking the piss out of glam metal, including a rad solo from Kerry King, who pops up on stage. Nice. And then the Beastie Boys themselves started out as Jewish New York punks, pretending to be sort of Guido frat boy hip-hop douchebags. So in Stutter Out, you've got three British comedians and one of the guys from Queen taking the piss out of three Jewish punks who were taking the piss out of white boy hip-hop, taking the piss out of 80s hair metal. So I'm saying that maybe, despite all the stuff that I said, there was some irony in the 80s, I guess. And yes, anyway, it was Did definitely... you say it was an irony-free decade? I know, before. I have said that many times, but I'm guessing there was, at least in Britain, there was some. Yep. Maybe the Beastie Boys, but yeah. And they followed up with a song, taking the piss out of stock, aching watering can called This Is The Chorus. Uh, which if I had to describe in two words, I would call accurately shithouse. But um, yeah, unfortunately being savagely mocked did not appear to appeal to the people who thought Rick Astley was hot shit and that was the end of their career. But yeah, hey, I have still, still have a certain fondness for it. Fantastic. Yeah, look, I think it's a good song. <laughs> in terms of a piss take sort it's of It's kind of a song. catchy loop, like oh, weirdly. Yeah. For, for a novelty song, it is kind of catchy. 
Absolutely right. Absolutely. Um, look, time up for me next. I've got the uh, What the Fuck Are You Talking About award, and that goes to <laughs> the Reynolds girls for I'd Rather Jack. Now, no one knows what the fuck this is, probably. Um, I don't know this. No, one. the Reynolds girls. Um, shit. So the <laughs> they recorded the song um, produced by Stock Aiken and Waterman. Of course. Um, but. Um, the, the, the premise of the song is that they don't like old music. Mm-hmm. They only like the current music, which mm-hmm. is the good music. Um, so it includes the lyrics, AM, FM, all that jazz, we'd rather sing along with Yaz. So okay. that, that ties back into earlier, Yaz and the yes. population. What happened to the radio? They never play the songs we know. No heavy metal, rock and roll, music from the past. I'd rather Jack than Flat, Fleetwood Mac. I'd rather Jack. I don't know what... I don't know what they're talking about. Jack. Don't know what they're talking about. Um, uh, Whispering Jack, perhaps, John Farnham, I'm not sure. But they're talking about how they hate the old songs. But why would you want the old songs, Tom, when you could have a really <laughs> shittily produced, plastic-sounding Stock Aiken and Waterman song, which these guys would run with? Um, this is absolutely awful. <laughs> and the, the, the fact that they're suggesting that anything that is what they've done in 1986 <laughs> could be better than the past, um, quite frankly, now is ridiculous. I, uh, even at the time, I think people are probably yes. saying, fuck no, we don't want this. <laughs> um, what I love about the Reynolds girls is that um, they seem to have completely erased themselves from the world. So they released this song, mm. they did a follow-up single um, that no one gave a shit about, and then in 2013, ITV in the UK were producing a Stock Aiken and Waterman documentary. So they wanted mm-hmm. to, for whatever fucking reasons, so they wanted to try and find people from the past. Yep. Um, and no one could track these girls down. So they said about... check out, obviously. They, they, did, they did, of course, yeah. So they had to sort of launch a campaign of like, if you can... So they, they, they wouldn't come forward themselves. They, they refused to come forward. For the, they actively said... Reynolds goes, look, we want you for this documentary because this is one of the earliest mm. singles from these guys, if you no. can come forward. No. Um, they, no one could find them. So they've, they're either dead or they just went, we want to have nothing to do with this ever whatsoever. <laughs> the song is awful. I'd rather Jack. No one know. I can't figure who out what the fuck Jack? they're talking about. I can't. Who? I'm racking my brain. Yeah, it makes no sense. I'd rather Jack than Fleetwood Mac um, is the chorus. Uh, this is fucking terrible. Um, but good on them for then concealing themselves yes. from the general public, saying, Probably are you one of the Reynolds sisters? <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. No idea. Leave me alone. Um, yeah, so good on them. I think this was, this was a hit in the UK, but not in Australia, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it, but mm. I've never actually heard it, I don't think. And I, I oh, yeah, cannot sucks. imagine who I'd rather Jack is. No. All right. Um, my uh, most plausible anti-drug award uh, <laughs> is goes to the series of commercials using musicians, which were known as the Rad Campaign or the Rock Against Drugs Campaign, which was an earnest attempt by the people behind MTV to try and come up with an anti. This was the era of fucking. Um, Nancy Reagan's famously moronic Just Say No campaign which did fuck all and was probably not even a good faith attempt to do anything but they wanted to try and get you know some musicians involved who would be far too embarrassed to be associated with that but who might come out of the woodwork and actually 
you know, reflect on it. So they dragged out a really unusual group of people. Like, um, there's a whole lot of them. You can find them on YouTube if you want to watch a montage of it. But, um, yeah, they all come under rad. Uh, It's hard to beat Lou Reed, uh, the man who wrote Heroin, (laughs) doing a very brief, odd, sort of weirdly pixelated clip he did uh, for rad. Um, But, yeah, he basically just says, look, I did drugs. Uh, but you shouldn't. That's almost literally what he says, which I'm not sure how much of a good argument that is, but I mean... Did he look fucked up enough for people to just be like, oh, maybe you're right? Well, he's pretty much looked like some sort of... Much like um, Iggy Pop. They both look like sort of reanimated corpses since about 1985. So, I mean, there is that. But yeah, it it does kind of stumble up against the old Bill Hicks argument of... It's difficult to argue that drugs aren't going to help your musical career when you're being told that by an extremely famous musician, yep. one of whose biggest hits was about how Rad doing smack is. But yeah, anyway, other musicians involved in Rad include uh, Belinda Carlisle, who was at the time halfway through a two-decade coke addiction, which she later talked about. Uh, bon Jovi, who promises that drugs are, quote, not a part of his everyday routine, leaving himself quite a lot of leeway there, if you think about it. Uh, the members of Cinderella, who were so visibly fucked up in the actual ad that they all need to be wearing sunglasses indoors at night. Uh, Motley Crue's Vince Neil, who, over the course of his life, went to rehab so many times that he officially concluded that it, quote, doesn't really work, and had a DUI in 2011. Uh, Paul Quaalude Stanley from Kiss, Gene What If Donald Trump Formed a Rock Band Simmons from Kiss, and Ted What If Donald Trump's Cow-Fucking Country Cousin Formed a Rock Band Nugent, and lastly, of course, Phil Don't You Wish You Were As Cool As Me Collins, whose testimony is slightly lessened if you've ever seen the Cake episode of Brass Eye, where (laughs) celebrities, including Mr Collins, are happy to perform in anti-drug commercials for a fictional drug called Cake, that works by activating part of the brain known as Shatner's bassoon. Uh, you can find the rad ads on YouTube and they're all highly convincing. You will definitely not want to take drugs with Ted Nugent ever again. <laughs> Did this keep people off drugs, Tom? Well, look, I don't know about you, but personally I find the whole... There's a sort of sneering mentality of everyone's a phony kind of thing, which yeah. I find a bit destructive and facile. I think the last 10 years have really proved how destructive and facile it actually can be. And it only helps to serve the worst people on earth, really. And I think it's one of the worst things that Generation X handed on to the world, and I take responsibility for my part in that. But you also have to remember that we were raised on shit like this, where the choice you've got is, do I ignore the evidence of my own eyeballs and choose to absorb the sort of well-intentioned but hypocritical message being sold to me here, or do I roll my eyes and change the channel and ask myself how much Vince Neil got paid to pretend he hadn't just inhaled half the local supply off the side of the screen? But, yeah, the problem is with that is that it lumps everyone in the same boat. Like, if you pay for Vince Neil's next kilo in return, he stops a few dozen extremely gullible teens from doing drugs, as the people who made these commercials claimed that they would regularly get letters saying, look, I used to do drugs, but I saw Ronnie James Dio <laughs> telling me not to do them. So I'm off or the gear. Until, thanks, Belinda Carlisle, now I'm off the gear. Yeah. But, you know, look, <laughs> yeah. Then... 
it's I mean all of that Vince Neil telling you the hypocrisy involved in Vince Neil telling you not to do coke is not the same thing as Nancy Reagan hopped up on God knows what telling her husband that her tarot reader says she could she should spend billions of dollars putting black guys in jail for taking the same shit that Vince Neil would get a slap on the wrist for. Yeah, Vince Neil fucking killed a guy and got off. True. Like, <laughs> for, look, I just want to think, say that for the real Gen Xers who are now raising kids. You've got to have nuances of cynicism. That's what I'm saying. No one can stop you being cynical when there's free-to-air television still going around. But look, you know, who is not a hypocrite in some area of their life? You know, who am I to judge Belinda Carlisle and say that her message isn't valid, Ben? Oh, look, it's fair enough, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I'm a big fan of um, Runaway Horses from Belinda Carlisle, <laughs> and I think that was an anti-drug message. I don't know. Or maybe it was just about <laughs> running horses that have, have run free from where they should have they, they should have been tied up, but they've run away. But uh, I don't know what mm, that song was about. Maybe she left the horse gate open under the influence of the massive amounts of cocaine. That you can leave doing. a light on for me. Um, in case I trip over. In case I'm coke. Exactly. <laughs> you should leave the light on for me because I'm going to be fucking high on drugs. I think is where that song's about. But look, sure. sorry. If it was, keeps if it keeps pe- if it keeps some kids off drugs, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Did it keep as many people off drugs? You think um, as uh, John Farnham and Danielle's communication <laughs> duet? Um, Am I getting from- through, Ben? Do you do the drug, Tom, or does the drug do you? Mm. Um, now, look, that's that's. Uh, I think that song itself. Um, I don't know the stats, but I think more people sign up to taking drugs after hearing that song. Um, but I, I remember that uh, the seven-inch single came with a, a thick booklet um, called "Sex, Drugs, and AIDS," and it sort of tell, told you all about mm. sex and drugs oh, and yes. AIDS. This was the doorstop of the AIDS era too, on top of all the anti-drug shit as well. That was exactly. So it was sort of, um, you know, getting a lot of messages together into one. So John Farnham and Danielle, I should mention it's Danny apostrophe L, Danny, Danielle. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's, it's just one name, but it's like, <laughs> yep, I got the you. fuck. Um, so yeah, so those guys teamed up to say, let's try and take on the war on drugs. Let's sort of, um, you know, be at the forefront. Do you do the drug? Does a drug do you? Booklet in the seven-inch single saying, "Hey, can you get AIDS from you know like sharing needles, etc." So look, probably some useful information in there mm-hmm. for fucking morons that don't know anything. But it was the eighties, so maybe no one knew anything. Hey, look, look, every sitcom had to have a episode or two about how you couldn't catch AIDS from toilet seats, if I remember correctly. Exactly, and right. I do remember correctly because I had to watch literally the same message being told to me four hundred eighty-seven thousand times. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a grade eight. I was fairly aware that AIDS was bloodborne, but you know, absolutely. If it took John Farnham to do it, I'm saying it was worth it. Oh, you know? no doubt, absolutely. Look, I think, um, yeah, they they probably was it successful. I don't know, um, probably not. But look, good on them for giving it a red hot go. Um, look. I heard that song and probably didn't take any drugs, but I was also probably seven, so that's probably why. So you weren't shooting up. I wasn't. Day. I wasn't shooting up, and I can thank that song. I think for it. So absolutely. Um, yeah. So look, I think uh, up next time I've got the um, the wearing a wetsuit to an album cover shoot award <laughs> goes to indecent obsession. Um, if you remember those Australian youngsters that uh, just... I do, uh, Yeah, yes. the album cover, they were, just, they were wearing wetsuits, I think, at all times. And I think in some of their music videos, they may have been wearing a wetsuit with a leather jacket. What now, was, is that the sickest look that's going? <laughs> what was their big hit? Um, Say Goodbye. Um, Say Goodbye. 
You know, it's funny that you should mention that, but because I was thinking about it, having you, I think you mentioned the wetsuits last week, and I happened to watch uh, the video for Cameo, oh. Word Up, and in that he appears to be wearing a leather jacket over a wetsuit, a mm. sleeveless wetsuit, with a red plastic cod piece nice. over the top of it. So yeah. maybe he's watched Indecent Obsession and thought, hmm, I've got to take this wetsuit leather jacket combo to a new level absolutely right hang yeah. on here's a plastic uh, tea bags drainer <laughs> sure. that I found lying around for sure look uh, and I think the thing with fashion is that um, it constantly recycles it constantly you know you look back as we've talked about before what was big in the 90s is big now it's just a constant loop but the wetsuit Slash leather jacket or wetsuit suit jacket combo, <laughs> probably wetsuit and tails. Like it's sort of. I mean, it hasn't aged a day. I don't. Yeah, I think that it never really had its day, and I think that if you started wearing that now, people would be like, "Oh, yeah, I like the indecent obsession reference, but I also just like the fact that it's an original piece of fashion." So, I think Tom, maybe in twenty fifty, that's what people will be wearing wetsuits just off the back of indecent obsession. So, um, song itself. Uh, <laughs> Dog shit. I think so. I gotta say, I always, no, it's probably alright. Their name sticks in your mind because it is. It's a great it's, band. It's an, name. obviously an attempt to create a kind of edgy, sexy, yep. you know, name, but it just ends up sounding fucking disgusting. Indecent like you obsession. Just, you just find yourself thinking of all the things that you could be indecently obsessed. With. I mean, it's obviously meant to be hot chicks that you want to bone, yep. but like it could be so many things. Yeah, exactly. It could be German shepherds, you know. For sure. I think if could the band... Be Nazi memorabilia you collect <laughs> exactly in your right. basement. <laughs> exactly. They would have gone a lot further, I think, if they were just called Decent Obsession. So, But look, I guess we'll never know, will we? Um, but yeah, look, great band. Uh, <laughs> one of yes, best. Oh, I mean one of those. All right, do you want to talk music videos? I know I've talked music videos a bit. What have you? Do you have any votes for... I was thinking either most iconically 80s music video or just yep. your favourite 80s music video. Oh, look, Tom, one of my favourites. Um, look, I'll pull it out here. I'm a big fan of this song. Um, Taylor Dane, Tell It To My Heart. Now, it's um, <laughs> it's uh, it's an 80s, late 80s um, dance pop banger, Yeah, I'm going to call it. Um, and look, I know that in this music video, um, I know in the song itself... The drums are clearly done by a drum machine. It's yep. clearly sampled. But it's so <laughs> fucking heavy on the kick drum that in my mind I like to imagine that they've got Dave Lombardo from Slayer in on session <laughs> drums to just say, go fucking ape shit on the kick drum. Because there's so like there's so like for a pop song, it's just constant kick drum. Like it's just oh, like okay. fucking kick wall to wall it is a powerhouse it's some Pantera um, stuff going on in the background almost yeah exactly <laughs> like it's fucking hard as nails um, and look don't get near me on the dance floor when this comes on because I might accidentally <laughs> spin kick you out a window like it is that fucking hardcore I've seen it um, it is it's fantastic but the reason I bring up the, um, the video clip is because um, if anyone out there has a PhD in hairdressing, can you tell me what the <laughs> fuck is going on? Because Taylor Dane in this, it's like, it's tritone hair. She, she's got a, a crimped fringe. The hair, sorry, to start off with, the volume of the hair is so big. I don't of think she, she couldn't fit through any standard door frame. I don't know yep. how she gets in and out of any room <laughs> at all. Like, it is massive. It's got a crimped fringe, then the rest of it's sort of red, but then she sort of has like this sort of, 
it looks like maybe a hair extension that's like really dark but like massive so when she flips around her hair colors a completely different color fuck knows what is happening with this it is out of control um as a music video itself it's just like that classic the reason like it's just that classic um white it's massively 80s white background you know where the whole oh, back yes. is yep. completely white um, backing dancers with like just ripped jeans and like oh, sort of, of shirtless and doing whatever. <laughs> Taylor Dane's completely bizarre hair. I think she's wearing like leather boots maybe <laughs> in some sort of bizarre outfit. But it just sort of has that sort of totally like just late 80s complete vibe <laughs> with the bizarre hair. Dave Lombardo on the kick drum. Um, yeah, really like this one. It's fantastic. One of my favorite songs of the late 80s. I'll listen to this every day. She had a rad voice. And oh, she, she did. She could actually sing. Smoking hot too. I always yep. had a mad crush. For sure. Her. Look, um, if, if I was leaving the IGA and this came on, I would go back in to sort of um, get more eggs, I think, probably. She was like a less shit Anastasia. She was like, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Anast- I think, you know, if Anastasia is definitely the poor man's Taylor Dane. I'll say that for now. Yeah. All right. Uh, my personal favorite. I thought about this quite a lot. Yep. It's not the most iconic. There's a there's a poison video that I would consider nothing but a good time. I would consider that. It's so iconically 80s. Not in the way it looks so much, but the message, like you know, the one. It's the the guy washing dishes in a shitty kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And like, he kicks the door he's open. Listening and he's... to a radio station. Yeah, that only plays poison. It's like this. <laughs> poison song on a row. and then his boss comes in he's busting his balls so his boss goes out and he's like yeah fuck you man and then he pushes the door open and then Poison are doing a fake live gig with metre white hair in front of a giant green neon logo of their own band there's no audience there are 46 costume changes there's more than one simultaneous triple knee guitar solo slide anyway <laughs> the 80s thing about it is the guy doesn't actually play any music or appear in the video. No, really. He just kind of stands there going, oh, this is pretty rad. And then at the end of the video, he just goes back into the kitchen again. Absolutely. The door closes. He's just sitting there with a dreamy look on his face. And his boss comes in and he's like, get back to work. And he's like, oh, that was it. That's, that's the that's, full that's extent it. of his involvement. Uh, it also contains the lyrics, I'm always working, slaving every day. And there is no evidence that Poison ever worked or slaved every, any day at all. No, so, no, there's no evidence so, of that whatsoever. But so. it was nice that they tried to identify with the common man. Um, look, I think, Tom, that also you'll notice that in the Unskinny Bop video from a few <laughs> years later that they sort of replicate that on-stage appearance, except Brett Michaels is dancing with some sort of like neon silhouette <laughs> fake yes. person yeah. that is just like... like cowgirl or something it's yeah. like a cowgirl but she's like a neon silhouette thing so but, which mean, is probably the height of technology at the time but the yeah. problem with these videos is there is just so much gold to choose from like oh, yeah. you've got take on me you've yeah. got walk this way inventing new metal right in front of you you've got <laughs> yeah. bronski beat one about being gay going home getting beaten up and your parents hate you probably that might not be such a good one but <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought about this a lot, and I, in the end, I came down on Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. Jeez, yeah, which that's a fucking great one. starts yeah. off with a cartoon nerd, David, uh, going to school, doesn't want to go to school. It's got weird, shitty voiceovers by clearly the musicians just doing yep. fake voices. Uh, they get on the bus, David Lee Roth is the bus driver. Kid is understandably terrified. I would be too if David Lee Roth was driving anything anywhere that I was in. Uh, he gets to high school. The teacher is literally a stripper. Uh, <laughs> you got the best drum intro in the whole 80s, I think, which sounds like an idling motorbike. Oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we start randomly switching black from black and white to colour. The entire band is in the class w- with the children. 
but there are also children versions of each member of the band in the class with them. Yeah. Uh, the whole band then, it just cuts to, <laughs> there's like a minute long bit in the middle where the whole band are just in like red wedding suits doing an extremely badly choreographed routine in the middle for no reason at all. Like just sort of dorky, uh, something about Mary wedding outfits. <laughs> it has nothing to do with school or anything. Everyone has a mullet, including all of the children and all of the strippers. Uh, David Lee Roth's doing the splits. There's knee slides. There's multiple solos. There's dick jokes. The song absolutely shreds. The drumming is ridiculously good. At the end, David Lee Roth picks up the kids, ver- the kid versions of the band, not the band, the kid <laughs> version of the band, up in a school bus themed hot rod that does a sick burnout off into the sunset. And then there's an Animal House style epilogue that shows what all of the people in the band went on to do, even though the kids are in the band, so that they went on to be in the band. Like, but anyway, <laughs> we already know that. So, like, for instance, <laughs> there's a picture of an extremely hungover Alex Van Halen behind a desk in a white coat, smoking a dart, and then the caption says, Alex became Dr. Alex Van Halen. Gynecologist, <laughs> for instance, like it's got it all. It truly has. Uh, it all. Look, that, that is it's a very good video <laughs> clip, um, and good on Van Halen for at this stage they could have just sort of phoned it in after. Oh, the they could have just had strippers if they wanted. For to. sure, <laughs> like, for sure. But they've gone. No, we want kid versions of ourselves. We want yep. a hot rod that looks like a school bus. Yeah. I'm going to play four separate parts. We're going to need three different strippers. Absolutely. And call the hairdressers. Hairdressers, because we're going to have 38 people coming in. They all need mullets. Exactly. The size of a haystack. Look, I just assume that um, off this album, I mean, Jump was a huge song. Oh, Panama's a huge oh, song. By this stage, you're like, whatever fucking money you want, just massive. go out shit. So yeah. that's pretty good. Right. Um, look, that is a fantastic video, Tom. I think for my favorite video is I'm going to go completely left of center. Please I did do. mention Taylor Dane before. That was probably I should have mentioned that was my runner up no that's okay because um, of that hair I'm going to go I think that this is a good opportunity for us to to draw attention to you know some some Australian artists that didn't quite get the Jews that perhaps mm. they should have at the time so I'm going to go for my favourite video of the 80s is uh, Roxas Body Heat now Roxas are an Australian hard rock band Tom <laughs> that no one fucking remembers who the fuck I've they never are. Heard of them. Well there you go that's good because that's why that's the purpose of yeah, this to draw attention to them. So Roxas are from uh, uh, Springvale here in Melbourne Tom. <laughs> um, they uh, unfortunately what I say fall into that category of where they were playing a... Some people may refer to them as the poor man's warrant, but I think that's unfair. <laughs> um, but they were playing a sort of style of music that at the late 80s was the biggest shit going and then took them a few years to sort of hone the skills, mm-hmm. get the album together. By the time it dropped in late 91, mm. no one wanted to fucking touch this that shit. That was the death knell. Felt yeah. very bad for them because um, this song... Body Heat, not their best song. Their best song, um, I'll talk about in a second. But um, <laughs> Body Heat, Tom, the video clip starts off. Um, it's a boy and a girl. They're walking along hand in hand. It's got a bit of a sort of an acoustic guitar or sort of undistorted guitar intro. Very emotional. I'm like, oh, what's this soft shit? Then all of a sudden, boom, a fucking truck drives into a warehouse um, just the cab off a sort of oh, semi-trailer okay. yep, gotcha. crunches into an abandoned warehouse the band members are hanging off of the back of the semi-trailer <laughs> holding each of their instruments as it cruises in they're like holding on for dear life I'm Jeez, like the what the fuck's going 
Exactly. <laughs> they jump off, they set up their gear, the intro to the song starts, it's a very fucking long intro. This is hard rock, as good as it yeah. gets. Um, the singer, Juno Roxas, he's off to the side limbering up. They're showing him doing, he's got a lime green muscle top on, tucked into his tight, tight, very fucking tight jeans. He's got long hair, a red headband. He's off to the side limbering up because he's about to go fucking ape shit and he needs to get stretched up, ready to go. You know, most most directors would cut that out, but this guy, the director, left that in and said, we want to show the human side of Roxas, we want to show they're limbering up, they're ready to rock, they're ready to go. Song starts going, you've got the keyboard player that has about one of those eight stacked keyboards, just way too many keyboards, but he's playing like two notes on one keyboard, don't know why he brought the other eight. The bass player has like a bass that's shaped like a cricket bat, you know one of those 80s ones? It doesn't have a, it doesn't have a head on it, it's just the neck, and then like the body, um, and then everyone just goes completely batshit for about five minutes Juno rocks the Savoka spinning around he's kicking all over the place can't you feel my body heat you bet I can um, this shit goes hard as nails I recommend it to check it out um, is it the best video of the 80s it's actually not I made that up but I just wanted to draw attention to no, some of the people might have sure. seen um, in 1991 they did release their debut album and uh, they released a song their best song called Bad Boys uh, and the lyrics are Bad Boys Need Lovin' Too Mm. Um, and I think it's true, Tom, because a lot it's of people, timeless. they didn't realize that I think, you know, bad boys, they're out committing crimes or, you know, sure. robbing houses, sort of B&Es, carjacking people, breaking into service stations, sort of all that sort of stuff, because people didn't realize that they needed loving too. <laughs> Roxas came along, they released this song saying bad boys need loving too. The girls went, oh, okay, I will approach a bad boy. They fell in love. The bad boys now have a girlfriend. They don't have time for crime. <laughs> they're just hanging out at home. They're cooking dinner. They're doing romantic stuff. Crime levels fell as a result. And I think Roxas are you know, responsible for that. At least probably. Um, yeah, a lot of domestic violence probably um, later on. But um, I think that generally, uh, great song, that one, their best. The video clip's black and white. They're all wearing leather. The dude still has his fucking, you know, guitar bass. <laughs> sorry, he's sort of, sorry, he's a cricket bat bass. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty good. So look, Roxas, check them out. They're the band that could have gone far, but um, I think Kurt Cobain sort of um, <laughs> ruined it for them by showing that no one wants hard rock anymore. Oh, guys, they could have conquered the world. Absolutely. If only they'd come out three years earlier. Absolutely right. <laughs> Absolutely um, sure. All right. Uh, should we do, um, do you want to do best song, worst song or best album, worst album? Oh, look, um, yeah. What do you got for, what have you got for either, either one Tom? What do you got for? Um, well, there's the kind of honest answer and you know, which is fairly boring. Like yeah. personally, yeah. Best album. I, I thought about this a fair bit. Um, Runner-ups, Paul's Boutique is untouchable. Yep. Like I love that. Is it? I know I'm not. A, I'm not an authentic hip hop guy, but Paul's Boutique was just. We listened to that infinitely growing up. And as a bonus, you could never make it now because it's full of shit tons of samples. <laughs> <laughs> Probably um, unclear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy once said that at the time there was a dirty secret that Paul's Boutique had the best rhymes, the best uh, beats. On it because it's just so musically fucking rad. It's so dense. 
And this, yeah, it, yeah, it was, the, was Dust, the Dust Brothers. Was the Dust it? Brothers, yeah. yep. And it was uh, the DJ Hurricane as well. I think they he he did it as well. Yep. Um, also, if you don't mention Surfer Rosa or Doolittle by the Pixies, then Gen X Music Guys will beat you up on the way home. Between them, those two albums have got Debaser, Bone Machine, Where Is My Mind, Monkey Gone to Heaven, Gigantic, Cactus, Wave of Mutilation, Here Comes Your Man, Gouge Way, etc., etc. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get beaten up by um, overweight guys who used to work in Blockbuster on my way home. So That's true, absolutely. But in the end, I would vote. I've got to, I've got to vote for Strange Ways Here We Come by The Smiths. That's their last album. They only had four albums. Yep. Which is, I mean, there's a, they've got a shitload of unreleased stuff, which you can obviously get. They've only got four albums, only 10 songs per album. So their entire musical career lasted for 40 songs. But yeah, like six of the first seven songs on that are all-time classics, I reckon. And yeah, and his lyrics are just fucking fantastic. Like, I love lyrics and he, Morrissey's just so good. It's a pity that, you know... Some people might say that he's been cancelled, but you can't go retroactively cancel that album. It's too fucking good, I would say. Oh, look, depending... Yeah, I mean, you know, Morrissey's obviously persona non grata these <laughs> days, but, um, yeah, you're right. Like the, I mean, he doesn't give a shit. He's no, rich and old. He couldn't, he couldn't, couldn't give a shit, and, yeah, you're right. It doesn't, doesn't change the quality of those albums because maybe, maybe he wasn't a weird far-right dude back then. <laughs> no, no, he was a weird fey... Homosexual, exactly overgrown high exactly. school kid, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, what have you got? Anything more in, more less uh, sincere than that? Well, look, I've <laughs> only got best song of the eighties, Tom. Um, oh, hit me with it. Um, Boy meets girl waiting for a star to fall. I've talked about this before. <laughs> I watched the video of that yesterday. That is a fucking rad song. I forgot um, how much I like that. Look, I tell you what. Um, I watched a YouTube video um, where someone had made a a sincere <laughs> Boy meets girl are the best <laughs> band of the eighties video. Sure. Um, it was very sincere. They 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 wrote out they put out all the evidence about why Boy meets girl. Is the best band of the eighties, and that's fucking stupid. That's the stupidest <laughs> shit I've ever heard in my life. It, it's ridiculous. Um, there's far better stuff out there than Boy Meets Girl for in terms of the best band of all time or the eighties, but in terms of best song of the eighties, this is clearly the best song of the eighties. So um, look, the thing most people, you know, like you and I, Tom, when we talk about household names of eighties mm-hmm. music, you know, you you know, we talk about this all the time, and we obviously mention, you know, your Murray Heads, Samantha Fox, <laughs> your Fergal Shakies, Party Boys, you know, decent um, obsession. Yeah. obsession. We mention all those guys, and I feel like Boy Meets Girl should be in that top tier of musicians of the eighties for this song. Yeah, not their whole. They're, they're not talking their discography, but I'm talking for this song. Look, they're effectively the American rock set, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> this song should be played at every wedding um, from yeah. now until the end of time. Uh, the song starts off. There's a sol a sax solo. Twenty seconds in, <laughs> you're like fucking hell. That's that's wet my appetite. And then at three minutes, just when you're going, oh, was that all? Is that all the saxophone I'm going to get? At three minutes, boom, they hit you with. You know, the, the first 20 seconds was just a taster. Then they hit you with a full sax solo. Um, it's the best chorus in 80s music. Um, there's a key change at the end that just, um, yeah, it's fantastic. All of it's really good. 
Um, and you've got to remember, these guys also wrote I Want to Dance with Somebody and How Will I Know for Whitney Houston. So oh, they wow. could have had a whole... They could have had their yeah. own body of work, but they gave a lot of their biggest songs away. So, um, look, this is... Uh, this only made it to, I think, 37 in Australia. Um, it was in some of the European charts. I believe it okay. got higher over there. But cool, yeah. yeah. I think it was top 10 in the US, but, um, look, this is my favourite song of the 80s. Um, it's left of centre... But um, go and stream Boy Meets Girl on Spotify. Maybe they'll get some extra money. Um, and also, I think the sign of a great song, Tom, is the fact sure. that in 2005, there was uh, not one, but two artists <laughs> sampled this song um, to, to release it as like a sort of a, a dance remix, which was popular in 2005. It wasn't Nick Skits. It should have been, but it wasn't. Um, it was the household names that both and I know, both you and I know very well, and everyone in Australia and probably internationally knows, um, the Sunset Strippers and Cabin Crew. Um, love both those oh, artists. Oh, yes. <laughs> so Sunset Strippers were from the UK. The Cabin Crew were um, from Australia. And um, I guess their image was um, sexy cabin staff. <laughs> Is, is how I would suggest that's how they presented themselves. So the cabin crew sampled Boy Meets Girl Waiting for a Start of Fall um, in their sexy cabin crew outfit. Sure. Um, and look, th that song I think itself is really popular because I looked at the YouTube comments um, about the quality of the song and um, the first comment I read was uh, from someone that said, quote, I'm sorry, but it has to be said, First Dancer has a magnificent pair of knockers. <laughs> so... Just people just an love average the song. guy from people, the UK. Just, just, just exactly dropping a line <laughs> for sure, for sure. So those those two remixes, um, oh, they're awful to, to, to <laughs> let's face it. But um, the American rock set, Boy Meets Girl, Waiting for a Star to Fall. Um, this is my outside of number one songs, top song of the eighties. Boom. Cool. All right, I I would have to vote. There's so many good. There's so many good cheesy metal songs that I probably should be voting for, but of the kind of stuff that we've been talking about, the kind of the kind of A-tier classic rock stuff from the 80s, I have to vote for Boys of Summer by Don Henley, Yeah, which I personally think is a bit of an underappreciated classic, which is hard to agree for something which still gets played on classic rock all the time, but like the lyrics are really clever, I reckon. Don Henley is the drummer from the Eagles, drummer, lead vocalist from the Eagles, and he wrote this for, uh, no, Mike Campbell from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers offered it to Tom Petty and Tom Petty turned it down. So okay. Don Henley came along and wrote the lyrics for it and then changed the key and then fucked it up a bit. And then, yeah. Anyway, Don Henley wrote basically all of the Eagles' biggest hits or co-wrote at yep. least and sang lead on them. Anyway, this got to number three in Australia, but only five in the USA, which I'm saying proves we have better taste in music. Also, because when DJ Sammy did a shitty <laughs> dance stream in 2002... I was going to bring up it, DJ Sammy. It got to five in the USA, but only nine here. So right. I think we win on both of <laughs> them. Um, yeah, the video won Best Video of the Year at the 85 MTV Music Awards. But it has not aged very well. It's directed by a French dude who did, who did a bunch of those pseudo arty '80s videos, you know, where everything's in grayscale and yep. just like you know, there's a woman shaving her legs and a businessman who breaks a pencil and that. Yeah. Anyway, Don Henley, when he was accepting the award, said, "Oh wow, I can't believe I won this for just driving around the back of a car a Ute for <laughs> two days," which is what he's actually doing in the video. Anyway. But yeah, I just I love the lyrics. The, the opening lyrics, the opening chorus, the opening verse of the song uh, is nobody on the road, nobody on the beach. I feel it in the air. The summer's out of reach. Empty lake, empty streets. The sun goes down alone. 
I'm driving by your house, though I know you're not home, which is just this beautifully economic evocation of a place and a time, an emotional state, all indirectly, like he's not actually talking literally about anything other than the weather, which is a literary technique that I couldn't find the correct word for, there's a fancy word for, but it means describing these surroundings in a way that creates the impression of the interior state of the character that you're talking about mm. without actually literally saying I felt or he felt or blah blah it's literal but it's a metaphor it's about getting old but yearning for youth and above all it's about the cruel fucking persistence of memory which is what he's talking about he's talking about yearning for a relationship that's long since evaporated but he still has this kind of vague hope that he can make it back and using the metaphor for that numerous things but the out-of-season shack town, which is a just one of the most sad things in the mm. whole world for some reason. You know, it shouldn't be, but it is. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, there's more lyrics, but you all know them. There's a great change. The third verse, when it switches into the chorus, um, it was just out on the road today, I saw a dead head sticker on a Cadillac, which is a Grateful Dead sticker on a Cadillac. A little voice inside my head said, don't look back, you can never look back. So he's warning himself not to indulge in his own memory, yeah. but he can't resist it. Those days gone forever, I should just let them go, but... And then it goes back to the chorus again, which is, I can see you, your brown skin shining in the sun. It doesn't mean he's literally looking at her, he just means that any time he wants, he can still see this person and go back to these memories. And it's about, it's kind of the self-destructive beauty of being able to hold beautiful memories in your mind, which is just part of the human condition. I think it's a really good song, personally, which is, you know, and it's got a cheesy name and it just ends up in cheesy pop video kind of world. But mm. yeah, I think he was an underappreciated lyrics person. The Eagles are also sort of put in the cheese ball basket, but a lot of their songs actually do have quite clever lyrics. And I'm assuming that he was responsible for that, having seen what he could do on his own anyway. Oh, look, absolutely, Tom. Look, I think, um, no, it is a great song. If I had to just... Uh, no, 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 I'm not going to... No, gonna, no, if no. you prefer the DJ Sammy version, I can understand. Oh, look, look I mean, I'll, I'll, that's all I was going to say, Tom. The, the only, the only fault with this, if I, had to choose, if I had to pick one fault with this song, is that it isn't at 180 BPMs, mm. and I think DJ Sammy did rectify that. Yes. But apart from that, and she did capture the, the, the spirit of the original, I think, and really sort of... Took it to a new level. The cover's always better than the original. And look, uh, do, while I, I do appreciate, yes. I do appreciate <laughs> what Don Manley was trying to do. I think that DJ Sammy <laughs> said, "Let's let pump up the BPMs um, and you know get rid of, I guess, all the meaning." Um, and, and then you left for something better, I think. So yeah, but no, it is a good song. Yes, they're not going to play song. that at the saloon. So <laughs> no, absolutely not, absolutely not. So um, look. I've got um, a category. I hope it's still okay to say this. Um, I don't know whether um, we should be making reference to people's physical appearance, but I'm, I'm stepping back to 1989 or 88 as yep. a child, and I'm thinking retrospectively, um, sexiest person alive. Okay. Um, and I'm going for, um, without doubt... Um, Wendy James from Transmission Transvision Vamp. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about her. Oh, I, th I think when I was a child, I saw the video clip too. It was probably "I Want Your Love" or "Baby, I Don't Care." One of those two. Did they? Um, 
Were they two hits? Yeah, I Want Your Love, Baby I Don't Care. They probably had a few other ones, but I just remember um, as a child going, whoa, yeah. she's very attractive. I was probably eight and just went, <laughs> she's sexy as hell. I didn't even really know what it meant, but um, you watch those video clips, tell me I'm wrong. Um, yeah, look, Transvision Vamp, um, fuck knows what's going on with that band name. I can't understand it at all. It's hard to say. I think I even said Transmission Vamp before when I introduced <laughs> them, but it's Transvision Vamp, um, British 80s, sort of hard, rock, not hard yeah. rock, hard rockish. She had a bit of a ow Yeah, she going had a bit on. of a smoker's, a bluesy smoker's, smoker's yep. voice. Like, yeah. Exactly. Both um, Baby I Don't Care and I Want Your Love. Um, are both bona fide classics uh, in my eyes. Go check them out. Um, they're on our playlist. But yeah, do so you know how high they got? I know I they, think they, they were they top got a lot ten of play in Australia. I yeah. remember both of those hits. Yeah, yeah. I think um, both songs. Um, I just wondered if anyone in America had ever heard of them, or whether that was just a UK Oz oh, look, deal. Yeah, it's, that's a very good question. Um, I sort of, I, you know, they were British, so obviously they probably had some hits over there obviously in Australia um but I'm just having a quick look so I want your love number seven in Australia um yeah no in the UK yeah no 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 US love at all for these guys no they um, were just baby I don't care was number three um in Australia (laughs) in 89 so yeah look both great. They've got, there's a lot of songs on there I've never fucking heard of before, but um, I'll be watching all those video <laughs> clips just to check them all out. But yeah, so 1927, <laughs> 1927 um, is my other sort of um, follow-up Australian... No 1927. One yeah. No one remembers who they are. <laughs> just wanted to quickly mention those guys. Um, if I could paint, I'd paint a portrait of you. Mm-hmm. If I could write, I'd write a book for you. If I could play, I'd play up a storm for you. Look, it's all, it's, it's, it's faint. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything when you can't do those things, does it? So, <laughs> you know, look. Hey, it makes more sense than that fucking um, uh, Elton John song about, you can tell everybody this is your song. At least oh, that yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> look, so, yeah. She I, says, I can't do fucking anything, but you can tell people this is your song. Can't remember what color your eyes are though, so obviously <laughs> not that interested in you. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, sorry, just wanted to drop a couple of um yeah, Australian classics. Um nineteen twenty-seven, um enjoyed those guys. Um obviously already mentioned Transmission Vamp. Um they're from Transvision Vamp, but <laughs> they're from the UK, sorry. Um so sorry, Australian stuff. Yep, nineteen twenty-seven wanted to talk about um Angry Anderson, Suddenly. Oh, yeah. That you may remember as the uh, theme song from Scott and Charlene's <laughs> Wedding on Neighbours. Um, that's a fantastic one from the 80s you can't forget. And oh, and probably, oh, look, is it my favourite Australian song of the 80s? Maybe it is. Um, Con the Fruiter, A Couple of Days. <laughs> God, um, no one knows what the fuck I'm talking about, so I'll move on really quickly. But... Um, yeah, so a couple of a couple of Australian bands there. But yeah, certainly 1927, they had an album called Ish. Yep. And it had like four songs on it that were hits for, yeah from they remember, were big so. in Australia yeah so yeah definitely um, he had a mullet he had quite an impressive mullet but it was no um, yep. normal no absolutely now look we've done best Tom do you have a worst song overall I, or a worst if you don't mind sure oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean I had look there's so many lists of this stuff Rolling Stone has top worst songs of the 80s you know yeah. but it's the usual lazy crap that you'd expect from them they're all just 80s rock standbys yeah you know, like, as we've said, number one is Starship, which is cheesy as shit, but it's definitely not the worst song no. of the decade. 
Stepping the vote for Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley, which is not only by a cock-aching Waterbury camp, but it's so bad that it became a worldwide joke a quarter of a century later. Yep. I remember hating Teardrops by Womack and Womack at the time, but listening to it now, <laughs> it's not that bad. It's just kind of lame. Yep. Simply Reds, if you don't know me by now, is dog shit, but someone else wrote it long before the 80s. So, um, we are the world is fucking terrible. We aren't the world. We aren't the children. We aren't the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving this song more shit because I don't think it got enough. Lady in Red is fucking appalling. It is oh. truly appalling. The lyrics are sentimental bollocks. The emotional complexity is grade two level. The video is complete shite. Krista Burke looks like Dudley Moore's shorter, less hot cousin. It barely has a melody. He can barely hit the high notes. The only good thing about the whole song is it reminds you of Kelly LeBrock, who <laughs> pops up again in <laughs> Woman in Red. But the problem is he's got some he's got some competition because I just called to say I love you is also fucking atrocious. Yeah. And it's fucking plagiarized. Is it worse than Lady in Red though, Ben? Could it possibly be a joke played on white people with no taste in music? And can it be a coincidence that the song is from the soundtrack to Woman in Red, mm. which is written by, um, <laughs> which is written by Stevie Wonder with drop-ins from Diane Warwick? It's, it might be some sort of secret society of shit music centered around trying to upskirt chicks in red dresses. <laughs> the whole soundtrack's pretty awful. Although the song Woman in Red is marginally better than Lady in Red, although that is like saying that you've been shitting your pants in public a lot less compared to last week. So, you know, look, I mean, <laughs> look, like, he can't even fucking say the words well. Opening, some of the opening lyrics are, he says, I've never seen so many men ask you if you wanted to dance. They're looking for a little romance given half a chance. Except he's got such a pretentious British accent that he has to say, I've never seen so many men ask you if you wanted to dance. But the problem is dance doesn't rhyme with romance because even pretentious British twats don't pronounce it romance. So he has to kind of muscle romance into this weird shortened pronunciation so that then he can say given half a chance as well because he couldn't just say chance, you know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And also then three lines later he says that they're alone in the room after saying that I've never seen so many people ask you... I mean... It takes a massive twat to pronounce words in an irritating way. So I'm going to have to give it to Christa Berg, the lady in red, I think. Look, Tom, that's fair enough. Um, for me personally, and uh, look, I don't really know how this flies because um, the worst song of the decade is clearly Joe Bunny and the Master Mix <laughs> Swing the Mood, but um, it's not It's not really a song. You know what I mean? Like no, I, I say it's no. the worst song of the decade, and it's the, it's the worst song of probably like the last said, 30 years. It's but more of a fad yep. than a song. Because not only that, but the era started with Stars on 45, which yeah. is like a disco yeah. version of the same fucking exactly. bullshit. You know? So, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cop-out to call that the worst song of the decade. I mean, it is the worst song of the decade, <laughs> but it's just... 40-year-old song stitched together. So it's not actually an original sort of song. Like, it's just sort of a collection of other shitty songs. Um, So ruling out shit dance medleys with a guy in an ill-fitting bunny costume awkwardly spazzing around in front of them. Yeah, like, ruling that out, and obviously Idlevice, um, (laughs) (laughs) which I wasn't familiar with until about a week ago or two weeks ago when I listened to it, which is also fucking appalling but also just samples and things stitched together like in terms of an actual original song I I find it really difficult to go past um, probably just 
as you mentioned, Tom, just songs like um, I Just Called to Say I Love You, like they're just, they're just so bollocks. so boring. Like just yeah. that. That's what Friends are for as well. Yeah, that's um, a that's a, that, that was a cover as well, I believe. But yeah. um, just there's a lot of, in terms of those just number one songs that are really nothing happens and just so yeah. bland and, and boring. And uh, yeah, I find it really hard to sort of <laughs> think because, you know, the, in terms of novelty songs, some of the shit ones, like you oh, just sort yeah. of go, oh, they're completely batshit, stupid, whatever. But they're kind like they, they're memorable in the sense that they are so bad. Whereas yeah. some of these songs are just, they're just so forgettable. Yes. You know, I don't know. Yeah. So. That's right. Yeah, so I'd probably say those ones. Like, he won an Oscar for that yeah. shit. It was plagiarised. Then he got, then he, like you said, he had to give it back. We didn't like have that. to, but we talked about the fact that, yeah. um, that the song had to be written specifically for the film, but he said that, oh, I wrote it five years before for my mum, so therefore it yeah. shouldn't have been and able to win it. All of it. this has been forgotten because it's just so boring. I thought we might have been too mean about that song and then just by coincidence it happened to be playing in the car on the way home a couple of weeks <laughs> later and I was like, no, we weren't. This is fucking atrocious. Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> like, terrible. It's really, just, really bad. It, it's like almost like kind of one wobbly piano line yeah. and no real melody and some feeble lyrics that it seems like he copied from somewhere else. Anyway. Absolutely. I was going to ask you, Tom, if you have a worst... Uh, lyric, um, <laughs> but you probably don't. I mean, you've you've brought them up week after week. It's really hard to narrow down the whole decade into oh, one. Oh, sure. Do, do you have Do you have a bad lyric? Um, um <laughs> I've got a I've got favourite cheesy lyrics. Oh, that's good because cool. there's so many bad ones. I quite enjoy um, talking about. Uh, we didn't get to it, but best metal albums. Of oh, the yeah. That's a whole other separate podcast, almost. But like, yep. there's some great trash. Lyrics from there's uh, there's a song on Doctor Feelgood that I love called SOS, which stands for Same Old Situation. Yeah, and it starts with the line, um, "She said her name was Cindy. She changed her name to Sin. I guess that's the name of her game." <laughs> kind of geniusly shithouse, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or there's that. Or there's My Michelle, which is this kind of that's a Guns and Roses song, yep. which is this this. Ridic- like a lot of their songs sound like it's it's it does that hip hop thing of like the gangster rap thing of like walking this the, our whole album does that line of walking the difference between you don't know what it's like out on the streets and just going so far as to it just sounds like a complete made up oh bullshit. exactly yeah. you know like like and that one starts with daddy watches porno now that mummy's underground she used to love her heroin now she's underground yeah which just sounds like. Some complete bollocks. That's not anything that happened to him. That's just some shitty thoughts. Sounded tough. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, any 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 votes? <laughs> um, well, Tom, I think um, for me, there's so many bad lyrics in the eighties <laughs> that we. Oh, it's limitless. I mean, we've sort it? of we've talked about the bad lyrics in a lot of number one songs. So I might just sort of try and draw on something outside of yeah, that realm. Totally. Um, Scorpions rock you like a hurricane. <laughs> Um, is one of my favourite songs of all time, obviously, as you know. But um, it does feature these lyrics. Um, the bitch is hungry. She needs to tell. 
So give her inches and feed her well. <laughs> now, Christ. I don't know what that means. I've, I've never been under, able to understand exactly what they're talking about. Um, Perhaps it has something to do with their album Virgin Kilo. Yeah, probably that. So like, someone's hungry and they want maybe like a six-inch sub. Is that what sort of like <laughs> sort of mm, feed right. her in? Probably a, a six or a 12-inch depending on what how hungry she is a on the subway. A hot dog. Uh, exactly right, exactly. So I, I think most foods are measured in inches. So I guess it's like give her the requisite amount of inch, inched food. So mm. a sausage is probably like, what, I don't know, six inches hot, you know. So, yeah, I've never been able to understand it, but um, it's, it does, just doesn't seem like just a great seems lyric. Kind of it just seems sort of weird, yeah. yeah, weird and meaningless. I don't really get it. But, um, yeah, I don't know, no good. What about you? you sort of, I don't really know whether. Uh, <laughs> I think I've just about used all. Yeah, look, I probably up. have as well. Yeah, look, um, I could. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of other songs we could talk about in the eighties, but um, yeah, tried to capture some of those ones that weren't number ones, but you should have any, been. Yeah, got any honourable mentions of stuff like that? Things that were or quasi semi hits, but not not didn't make it to number one. I love um, "Hold Me Now" by the Thompson Twins. Don't yep. really have anything to say about. They're not actually twins, but that has a really interesting, weird song structure. It's got a weird falsetto in it. And I once heard a really good band of slumming professional studio musicians who used to play in an '80s cover band, and they had a, had a saxophone player who would also play in their band. And I heard them doing in excess covers in a pub basement full of very loud, drunk, young, hip type people. And then they also covered "Hold Me Now," and you hear when you hear old NXS and shit like this. Yeah, this actually got a really cool chorus in it played in that environment. You just think these are fucking cool. Like you get with a lot of eighty stuff, you get used to thinking of it in terms of this cold, weird, artificial video with this kind of weird production with gated artificial instruments and all that shit and when you actually see someone doing it live which they presumably would have done at some stage you realise that it's just a really fucking rad song <laughs> like absolutely with a cool kick-ass chorus that you can sing along to when you've had 10 beers yeah for sure yeah look I think um, for me Tom if I have to leave on one song <laughs> probably have to say that um, yeah something that probably doesn't get as much play as it should do um, probably Debbie Gibson Electric Youth <laughs> um <laughs> Can we feel the urgency? Um, she we was are. better than Tiffany. Oh, she was better than Tiffany. And we are electric youth. You know, I feel, you know, I'm not young, but I, I feel that electricity. I think that's pretty good. I mean, Debbie Gibson, Belinda Carlisle, who do you prefer? Like one-on-one, who, if you had to choose one or the other. So, I mean, I know Belinda Carlisle, you know, obviously used to be the drummer in the germ. So she has that sort of punk rock sort oh, of... Oh, yeah. Um, She's she's OG punk rock, um, but you know Debbie Gibson, she had that cool hat, um, that pork pie hat. Um, I don't know, I don't know who to choose. Electric Youth versus Leave a Light On. But then, as I said, Blinda Carla also has Runaway Horses, as I mentioned. Her lyrics, hits, so. speaking of lyrics, are not very good. They don't hold up very well. I, her, she's got some fun song structures, but yeah, yeah, I like. Um, the Summer Rain song. Like, oh, that's got a yeah. rad... It's a rad song, but the lyrics are bollocks. Like, they, they're just normal. <laughs> this, this kind of Mills and Boone bollocks, you know, like, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, obviously... Whereas Electric Youth, I mean, that's an anthem that's about, an anthem, you know, yeah. going like, to the mall and kicking some ass. I've got no idea why that isn't played <laughs> still today. Yeah, it's of... weird, isn't it? Why they still play Kim Wilde, but they don't play Debbie Gibson, you know? Yeah, she, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. So, look, yeah, I think... I, I, I think 
I've touched on everything I'd like to touch on re <laughs> 80s pop music. Um, so, as you said, you know, there's other genres we could talk about that's a whole new oh, podcast. Sure, but, yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I hope you enjoyed our loose, yeah. <laughs> unstructured <laughs> episode where we capture some, some songs you may not have heard of. I'm worried of. I didn't talk enough about boobs, but, you know, perhaps... You know, I can add in some more boob talk later. Oh, absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't thanks think for listening. It wasn't enough song. Yeah, so if you made um, it this far. Well, for done. sure, we'll put together a playlist of all these songs. Um, next week we'll be back with a regular episode where it'll be 1990, new decade, oh. uh, new outlook on life. It's a new world. It's a new world. It's new everything. So, what will it be? Probably eight more weeks of fucking uh, <laughs> B-52s or whatever it was we talked about last week. But... Now we'll have to drop in some 90210 jokes, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely right. I'm ready. I've been, I've been saving them up, so look forward to that. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.